0: Speaking to Jeremy me. white
1: at sneaky Joe DiBiase. we haven't had like a perfect weather week I would say since I've been back or even right before that like give me where Wh- am I you, where here? am my clear keep. 70s no rain and no you know smoke Jeremy white you want a full seven days of that are you like charting a pitcher with a perfect game oh uh, 68. And a cloud. Yeah, what I've got is it's I've got a, a perfect week anymore. Sneaky Joe DiBiase. I've got a weather team right now that keeps collapsing in the third quarter. You should just create a website and, like, it, the Jeff Sagarin ratings for college basketball, right? Isn't <laughs> that a guy who just yeah. created his own system? Just the DiBiase Weather not WGR. I just want low 70s and sunny without smoke. That's it. Sports Radio 550. Hey, good morning. Jeremy with you. Joe's out today. Speaking of weather, have you seen Josh, Josh Schmidt producing, have you seen what's going to happen tomorrow with the weather? Uh, Isn't it going to be like 60 degrees? I saw that. Is there something else? Yes, there is a point where it will be 60 degrees. Pat Hammer had this. We're supposed to get a quick blast of winter again, but it's quick, and then it's nice again. So if you... Whatever. Open up your own weather apps. And of course, trust the professionals. You'll see highs today, 62, tomorrow, 61. And then the weekend, you know, Friday, 49, 51, 62, 66 on Monday. Holy cow, right? But it's tomorrow that things go south. It's a tomorrow's high is 61 and the low is 23. Yeah, it's a big stretch. <laughs> that's a that's a very broad scale. And what he pointed out is that noon, it'll be 63 degrees tomorrow. And by 2.30, it'll be about 36. So we're going to get uh, about a 40-degree drop for 12 to 24 hours tomorrow into Thursday. And then Friday's nice again. So, yeah, I guess that's not going to stack up. We'll have to ask Joe about his perfect weather week. But it was beautiful yesterday. Looks like it's going to be beautiful today, so hopefully you have a chance to get outside. Maybe some rain a little bit today. I busted out the smoker and the grill yesterday. Yeah, that's right. Some people do that all year long in the winter and everything. I I don't I don't do it all year long. Smoked some wings, made up some steaks. I mean, you know, nothing nothing better to make you feel like spring is around the corner. Granted, it's February twenty seventh, but to be outside and making food outside, and I'm raking. Garden beds, and starting to think about how I'm going to get my backyard back in order after my dogs have destroyed it during the you know mud season. It still kind of is mud season; the ground's still kind of small or soft, not small, still kind of soft. And walking in my backyard is like walking on the surface of the moon. There's just craters, spongy craters everywhere. That's what I'm googling in the last 24 hours: is what's the best way to reclaim my lawn small, from my own dogs, who just destroy it with, you know, the running and the legs and the feet and the stuff. Is there a way to do it outside of fencing it off so they can't even use it? I don't know. Probably not. But anyway, good morning. Happy Tuesday. Big show coming up today. Lots of stuff going on. We've got Sal Capaccio checking in from the Combine. He'll join us at 7 o'clock. Sabres head coach Don Granado at 8 Matthew Collar, who talks and covers the Vikings in Minnesota, he'll join us at 8.30. And at 9 o'clock, Brent Axe, who talks Syracuse sports, to join us just to check in on the Syracuse basketball and football teams because, well, I kind of want to, and they've gone through big changes in these last 12 months. So check in on that. With Matthew at 8.30, this is, so Matthew's a former producer of this show. So those of you that listen might remember him, know him, know his work. I sent him a text last night, which was basically, hey, uh, I want to start a segment called that football team is not going to do the stupid thing that people are pretending is smart, right? Like that'll be the name of the segment. Is this football team going to do a really dumb thing that people today are pretending is smart? And he said, I'm in. Because of course, while I was gone, I had Friday off, I had Monday off. While I was gone, I, uh, Justin Jefferson's name is in is in trade talks. He was the wide receiver idea of the day yesterday. I heard that. And I was proud of you guys cuz that would have been my, I would have done that 100%. His name gets in trade talks. Let's talk Justin Jefferson. I also thought that the Vikings have the chance have a chance to do the funniest thing ever. And just trade Jefferson for Diggs right back. Um Bill would have to give something up with that of course too. But I'm sorry. Justin Jefferson. Adam Rank had an article I I favorited this. I've got it linked. I've got things to talk about inside this article. Sentences of madness that three trades that should happen this offseason. And it's Jefferson, Diggs, and Ayuk. And I, I, I got, a, I got a question. I got a, anybody, anybody got an answer for me on this? What on earth do people think happens with wide receivers? It is no longer the receiver's fault, people. Why, why? What, what is, what help? Justin Jefferson. The consensus best receiver, oh yeah, just trade him because they don't want to pay him? What? Is everybody taking crazy pills? Am I taking crazy pills? How does this continue to happen? I have a couple theories. I started writing down like, all right, if I was asked by some sort of, I don't know, probably not a forensic scientist can ask me how to figure out why receivers keep getting this treatment, I do have answers. And that is, okay, here you go. One. The good quarterbacks never move and never should, and the quarterbacks that aren't good enough do move, like Russell Wilson, congratulations, or um Derek Carr's got another job, and this offseason, Justin Fields, will he get traded? Sure, probably, who knows? It's not exactly, you know, universally compelling, but he probably will. Then there's the running back conversation, which is as dried up as it gets, oh, Should the Giants franchise tag Saquon Barkley? Should the Raiders keep Jacobs? The answer is like, yeah, they do for a year. And then this year there'll be no franchise tags for running backs. None. They're all just going to walk. So, all right, what other position matters? Is it tight end? No, there's only like six that people know. Well, now I'm left with receiver. And apparently every offseason is now going to be hey, there's a team that has an awesome player. Maybe they'd be better off if they had a pick and a prospect instead, although there are no prospects. Maybe they'd be better off if they had a first and two seconds instead of, oh, I don't know, the best receiver in football. And whether it's the Bills with Diggs, which, you know, I know that's not quite Jefferson. It's not even really quite Ayuk based on age. But the we are at obsession And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe I can, I don't know, relate to a lot of people that are just on the wide receiver train and want to trade him and want to move him, want to get him. Let's get Justin Jefferson on the pick your team. Who? Where would they possibly trade him? To the Texans? Think about it. They don't want to pay him. They're going to trade Justin Jefferson. The entire existence of a general manager of a team is to find players that are literally irreplaceable, and then you find them, and you th- you talk about trading them? Doesn't that make any sense? So I'm I'm just over here torn because I love all the talk about receivers, but now I've got everything from – I mean, Diggs hasn't spoken or hasn't made any sort of waves in a couple of weeks, so instead fill that in with Ayukin Jefferson trade chatter, and oh, by the way, A.J. Brown calling into the radio station in Philadelphia – because they wouldn't stop speculating that he has a problem with Jalen Hurts. Like that's that's where we live now. It's, it's wild. He calls in to say, yes, I want to stay in Philly. I don't have a problem with Jalen Hurts. And it's leadership style. A.J. Brown, I don't know if you saw this video or this clip. A.J. Brown goes on a station. He calls in in Philly and basically says all of the same things that Stefan Diggs says, which are, uh yes, I wanna be there. Sometimes I get loud. Sometimes I'm willing to have conversations people don't want to have. And, you know, meanwhile in Philly, they're just demanding that A. J. Brown commit to them. It's it's funny. We 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 live in a a, a goofy time. Maybe it's because it's February and the Combine hasn't kicked up. Of course the Combine probably adds to all this. That's worth mentioning. Maybe it's because it's February and free agency hasn't begun yet and you know, once T. Higgins signs that franchise tag or Michael Pittman Jr. leaves or who knows, the draft is, of course, going to be a wide receiver driven draft along with quarterbacks. But here we are three trades that should happen Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, and Stephon Diggs. I suppose we did a few years back have Tyreek Hill. And Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown and Marquise Brown to a lesser extent. He had some decently, whatever, some name recognition at the position did get moved. So, okay. I don't know if we should expect every year to be like that. But here we are. Jefferson. So, 830. Matthew. The question will be him. Uh, The Vikings aren't going to do that very stupid thing, right? Where they trade a first-round pick for Justin Jefferson. Or they're going to want two. It's nuts. Meanwhile, Sean McDermott spoke yesterday from the NFL combine and Sal's got a recap piece up on it and he doubled down on talking about explosive plays some good quotes in here from McDermott and I've heard the afternoon guys talk a little bit about whether or not we should take what McDermott said as him just saying it because he thinks people want to hear it versus how he really feels about it and a couple things in here that McDermott mentioned from Sal's piece. You can check out the full piece at our website, WGR550.com. So McDermott cited data on drives that end in scores with or without explosive plays, saying usually a scoring drive has baked into it an explosive run or explosive pass or a big-time penalty. And those numbers are, you know, out there from whether it's Pro Football Focus or any one of these, you know, sites that's going to dig deep into the numbers. You are definitely more likely to get a score on a drive when you have an explosive play. And it's something that hindered the Bills. It's actually to Josh Allen's credit and some of the other players on the offense, it's to their credit that this team was able to score so many points despite really lacking in the explosive play department. They were 20th in the league in explosive plays, which, it's bad. In what world should the Josh Allen Bills be limited to bottom half of the league in explosive plays. It is... scary? Ken Dorsey wasn't getting enough. Joe Brady came in. They didn't get enough either. So how do they fix it? Well, McDermott knows. He said of it, quote, more on this, the game's changing a little bit, too, with defenses going to more with split safety looks and more zone versus man. It's forcing quarterbacks or offenses to be a little bit more patient, The value of run-after-catch is important. If you're going to throw it short, you'd better be able to take it from 5 yards to 15 or to 50. And I think that's important as well. The Bills had 49 pass plays of 20-plus yards. That was 19th in the league. And he said, McDermott said, it's part of us moving forward as we look toward our roster and look at player acquisition, something we need to take a hard look at, he said back in January. So, I've got Bean and McDermott. Talking about it, explosive plays. I've got a write-up from Joe Biscaglia of The Athletic on the numbers on Stefan Diggs, which are scary. There's a, there's a glaring number on something Diggs had this season that we'll want to talk about as well going forward. I'm, I'm going to commit it to memory, and it's not a Diggs problem. It's a Joe Brady question. So, got that as well. I can give that to you right now, actually. It's just that in the playoff game against Kansas City, of course, there's the big, deep deep ball that Diggs could not haul in, and that's on him. But on the rest of his targets, his average depth of target was 3.3 yards. And Joe pointed out his piece at The Athletic a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, that with Diggs, you have a a receiver who has made his living down the field, intermediate, even, you know, over top of defenses. And while he dropped that one against the Chiefs, Allen missed him like five times during the season, and maybe – If one of those deep shots was on target, we think less about the downfall or the slide or the lack of production from Diggs. If a couple of those get hit, maybe the drop rate doesn't seem as significant. Joe pointed out Diggs' drop rate was not much higher, was not much different than any other year in his career. Diggs looked like the true number one that stepped into an offense that didn't have an answer to get the ball down the field. Whether that's teams figuring them out and clamping down on him while taking their chances on Gabriel Davis, who would have a couple of zeros on the board, or if teams were just content to, you know, give the Bills the easy button over the middle to Shakir and Kincaid, and Shakir showed some ability for that run after catch, probably best on the team. But I've got McDermott talking about it again, and I think that's a, that's that's a good thing. All the things that they now talk about needing and wanting. Would have been filled nicely by Zay Flowers last year. But of course, you know, Flowers goes before they pick. They move up and they take Kincaid. But I think it's a good sign that you've got McDermott again talking about it. I don't think it's lip service. I think they know they need it. It will be interesting what yak means to them, though. Because from a, from a yak perspective, whether that's run after catch or yards after catch, which if, if you're a rack guy or a yak guy, which are you, Josh? Are you yak or a rack? Yards after catch or run after catch? I think I'm more of a yak guy. Me too. I I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it, but it just seems more (laughs) exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Because you could run a lot and only get one yard. Right. And what matters is the yard. (laughs) Yards after catch. Anyway, I'm a yak guy too. They talked about yak in Dorsey's first year a lot. They, They really, they wanted it. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie was supposed to be a yak boost for them. And it was going to be a different design to their offense that was going to maybe give them some Yak yards. And that never really happened. Never really happened. Dorsey came in to an offense that was 32nd in the league in Yak, and they finished 31st. And then he never made it through year number two. So, you know, like, it'll be interesting to see what Yak means to them. Does that mean scheme? Does that mean guys that are going to break loose, that break tackles? Should I be... Thinking of the Yak King, he self-named him that, Malachi Corley and you know, a day three pick, maybe. That's a name you might want to familiarize yourself with if you're on the Bills wide receiver train and you're thinking about the second receiver they'd want to draft. But all of it kind of adds up to, like, here, here we are again, receivers are just dominating the offseason, as is, I guess, normal. Running backs are boring. Running backs don't get paid. There aren't even any first-round running backs in this draft, so... I've got a league that's built on quarterbacks and receivers. And that means sometimes Justin Jefferson trade rumors pop up. And Brandon Ayuk says he wants to get paid. Diggs didn't really do much of anything. And the stories are out there. And then people ask him, how about these stories? It's wild. Fun times. Fun times. So we'll check in with Sal from the Combine coming up at the uh, top of next hour, 7 o'clock. Throughout the week, checking in with Combine people as well to see... Who has a lot to lose? Who has a lot to gain? The Bills have already started some of their salary cap maneuvering. Connor McGovern, his deal has been restructured. The Bills freed up a little bit of space. Nothing too crazy. There was also news over the weekend, before the weekend, that the increase in salary cap space, of course, helps the Bills get closer to being under the cap. I don't think it really helps them add anybody so much as just helps them get more compliant because... With more money in the uh, global pool of NFL finances, that probably means that players just get paid more. So whether that's quarterbacks, receivers, you know, when Michael Pittman gets paid like the fourth best receiver in football, maybe he goes that high. It's it's the passage of time. It's something we're going to get a lot of these next couple weeks. With more money into the system, a lot of guys are going to get paid more. Maybe even some guys get restructured. That's that's something to think about here is if you are if you're the Bills or any team that now has a little bit of extra money, some teams will commit that to, of course, extensions and not just commit it to free agency, but keeping the guys that you already have. Maybe you like the idea of extending Rasul Douglas, which the Bills could do to save cap space and also, you know, a player that they like. They could keep him for a little bit. He's got one year left on his deal. So the uh, you know, the movement of this offseason it's interesting. I wonder who the biggest name will be that moves. My guess is it'll be a name lesser than Justin Jefferson. Does that depend on what you consider lesser? Like is Justin Fields a bigger name? He plays a position that's more important. Quarterback always runs the day. We know that. But all of it adds up to a fun off season. And I, I think we got to keep our eye on, of course, the AFC, who goes where, how this all plays out. And for the Bills, just how much they are locked in on explosive plays. In which case, I'm putting up a Twitter poll about this. Would you make this deal? No, it's not a deal for Justin Jefferson. Would you make this deal? I get the first two picks of the draft for the offense. You can do the rest of the – whatever you want with the, with the defense. I get the first two picks of the draft. All of the other offseason capital, you can do what you want. You could have – Every defensive end and safety and corner. You can have every defensive lineman. All your free agency dollars. I've got what looks like a pretty ready-made offense missing one piece for sure. A second piece maybe. I would, I would lean more towards a second piece for sure. I need a, an outside receiver and then a guy to go in that keeps my offense always dynamic. No matter who's on the field and who's off the field. You give me my first and second on the on the offense, you can have the rest on the defense. Deal? i going to ask that to McDermott, maybe to Bean. Give me my two picks, you can have the rest. they have tons of assets. They have ten picks. That's eight picks on the defense. Free agency dollars spent there as well. And, you know, who's not happy? Going to be a challenge for Bean on what to do with their money and the biggest number, the biggest money they can spend. Will there be, you know, a depth receiver, a depth defensive tackle? Is it a Daquan Jones expen- extension? These are some of the things, of course, that get kicked around as ideas. Daquan Jones is an important one. If they're If they're able to get that one done, that would check off a starting job and make the defensive tackle seem less desperate. Is there a receiver they could sign that is exactly that same level that would make them seem less desperate going in? We'll see. 803 550 550 2550 So, Sal Capaccio from the Combine, 7 o'clock. Sabres play tonight against the Florida Panthers. Don Granado joins us at 8. Of course, the news on the Sabres is great. Three straight wins. They've got their first three straight wins of the season. I saw a number that in the NHL this year, there have been 113 three-game win streaks. This is the Sabres' first. So that's, what, like three per team? And Sabres have their first. Okay, that's good news. We found out they're getting a new video board. They're getting a new roof. Insert joke here about you're putting a new roof on the wrong stadium. I mean, that's right out there if anybody wants it. That's a good line. Maybe not that line, but some version of it. And we had correspondence from the owner. Terry Pegula, Kevin Adams, a, a letter to Sabres season ticket holders on the future and in the announcement about a new video board and a new roof and a tent pole event, which many are speculating could be maybe another winter classic, maybe I don't I don't know about the all-star game. I wonder where Lee what would the NHL give them? Hey, here's an event to maybe help you with season tickets because you know, like just first first thought on that. Hey, you started to rebound from a season ticket standpoint, then you had a bad season. We want to help you keep that. Here's a winter classic. Here's the, the Four Nations tournament. Here's an all-star game. I just wonder what the NHL would do to get involved there. But they tease that, a tentpole event. So I've got a new roof, video board, tentpole event, and to me, the most important thing that was in that entire letter to season ticket holders was a message that what has been happening is not good enough, which is something the Sabres have not often said. And to hear them say that is refreshing, and for me encouraging. Though they had a great weekend, just with wins and <laughs> with the lettered season ticket holders, It was great. So anyway, good morning. Eight zero three zero five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. We'll check in on the combine. We'll check in on Justin Jefferson. We'll check in with Don Granato as well. It's uh, me, Jeremy, Joe out today here on WGR.
0: Music, news, and podcasts that you want are all on the free Odyssey app. Download
2: it <clears throat> You've got to be able to get the ball either thrown down the field or you've got to be able to complete it short and then have it run down the field, whether it's via rack or throwing the ball down the field. and and completing it on deeper passes. So the, the game's changing a little bit too, though, with defenses going to more split safety looks and more zone versus man, and so it's kind of forcing quarterbacks or offenses to be a little bit more patient at times. So the value of rack is important then. If you're going to throw it short, you better be able to take it from 5 to 15 or to 50, and I think that's an important
1: piece as well. I'm putting up a Twitter poll. Yak or rack? McDermott's a a rack guy. I want a shirt with a yak on it, but it's spelled Y-A-C, like the animal yak. Yeah, it's it's got like a Bills logo on it or something. Well, is it got a Bills logo? Wait, well, is it a bison or is it a yak? The yak has a Bills logo on it. Okay, like because yaks are pretty hairy. Maybe you could like shave it in there on like the the design of the shirt. Are you prepared to find out the difference between a yak and a and a bison for me? I, I, like can, how, I can are do they, some biological research on yaks and bisons. Are d- they loosely related if you go far enough back? Yaks? I mean, come on, they look, you know, it's like different hair. Anyway, Josh is on that. Good morning. The closest living relative to, of bisons are yaks. Let's go. All right. So, So then bisons and yak go hand in hand. The Bills have to be a Yak team now. Like, there's no other option. <laughs> right. Yak Kings. Good morning. It is uh, Tuesday, February 27th. Hello. How are you? Uh, this is the month of February, which is, you know, unusual. Has an extra day in it. The 29th is coming up on, uh, well, Thursday. So, you know, have a have a leap year celebration if you'd like. All right, put up a Twitter poll. Question for the wide receiver, train enthusiasts, and all football fans. Are we a Yak team or a rack team? Which one, which one are you? McDermott says rack, eight zero three zero five fifty. What am I asking you to call about? Well, you know, explosive plays if you want it, something like that. Um, you know, charting the combine this week it'll be it'll be interesting to see how things go. The off season's just getting started. The free agency tampering period, the legal tampering period, comes up in about two weeks. Two weeks from today we'll be inside that legal tampering period, so. We'll talk about the Combine with Sale. Also on the Savers, you know, they are not exactly, uh, I just redid the math, they're not exactly in a position to make a run yet. They have a lot of work to do. It's it's, it's conflicting, right, when you start playing better now. i some strange, some strange comments from players about playing with pressure and what, what that's been like for them. How there was a quote I saw from Darlene that, you know, I'm not here to tell everybody what they should and shouldn't say, but his basic idea was that now that they're better, teams don't take them as lightly, and that's been hard for them to deal with. And it's just like, you know, just be good, just just be a good team. It's not that hard to be a good team. And this idea, like this, I don't know if their psyche is all messed up. Maybe it's maybe it's that. Maybe you guys just didn't score goals, you know, and. They've been very good defensively since the turn of the calendar. Since January 1. Very good. One of the best teams in hockey in terms of goals against. And that game against the Hurricanes on Sunday was electric. It was fun. They've started to look like a team that's worth watching again. They're stringing together wins. It's likely too late. The pace for the final playoff spot in the East is 92 points. For the Sabres get to 92 points. They have to get 34 more, which is a pretty big number in the remaining games. I mean, they have 24 games remaining. So 34 in 24 is tough. It's not impossible. It's not never been done before. But it's, there's almost a little bit of, I don't know, resentment's the wrong word. But when your team disappoints for a good three quarters of the season, two thirds of the season, and then finds their game to make a heroic run to ninth. That's disappointing. Last year was our first real taste of that. And that was fun because, hey, at least there are meaningful games. I'm skeptical this team will even get to meaningful games. Last year's team got into a playoff spot, got tied for a playoff spot by about a year ago. They were in the mix. And, you know, for this team to be still 11 points back, 12 back of Detroit. And eleven back of Tampa, it's just I don't I don't find it very promising. But that said, watching them play better still does to me have have value. And seeing them look like a version of a team they're supposed to be, they've. It's almost like both these teams, the Bills and the Sabers. It's kind of a loose point, but a little bit of a struggle for identity. Right, the Bills' offense. We've gone through how many identity problems they might have outside of just being Josh Allen. And for the Sabres, you know, last year they were a team that scored on the rush all the time. They played wide open and they scored a ton of goals. And then this year they made a commitment to defense. And this is something Granado said with us last week. You know, last week, the, think how tough it was a week ago. The Sabres had not had a three-game win streak. Things looked to be falling apart. And Granado said he had full belief because the things they've been focusing on have indeed been getting better. And a week later they've got a three-game win streak and... Defensively, they're still pretty strong. They don't give a bunch of goals. Lukanen's been strong in net. Thompson starts to look like himself a little bit. We'll see the news on Jeff Skinner, who left yesterday's practice. But Don Granado gives us the update on that coming up at uh, 8 o'clock. So stay tuned for that. 803-0550 and one 550 One other thing to come out of uh, the combine. You know, there's a lot of different meetings And when it comes to rule changes, Judy Batista reported yesterday that there is not much movement, not much uh, momentum behind changing the rule of fumbling out of the end zone, which I find to be great news. I think it is great news that they will not be changing that rule. There are a couple things that do need changing and a couple things that don't. There's going to be a lot of push to change kickoffs because kickoffs and kick returns rather don't really exist right now. So I think that's the right way to do it. Movement towards kick returns, movement towards kickoffs changing and the fumble out of the back of the end zone. She even included a line in it that said that there's just not a lot of movement for it because the feeling is it's the ball carrier's responsibility to protect the ball and that it's rare. It does not happen that much. And if you had, Teams fumbling out of the back of the end zone every, you know, every game, which definitely doesn't happen. Maybe they would change it. Maybe not. Maybe that's the time to show the rule makes whatever. It, it it's important. So I was happy to see both those little news items from the combine that those two rule changes in talking to owners and talking to GMs don't seem to have a ton of momentum behind them. Also from the combine. Sean McDermott speaking on Joe Brady's role, Bobby Babbage's role. there's a couple different things the bills have to iron out. one is who's calling plays defensively, and McDermott, when asked about that, continues to say that they're they're just working on it they're still well, we're still working that out, but you've got I think you've got people believing he's going to give that up and going to give it to Bobby Babbage. Babbage had other interviews, had other options potentially we don't know if he was offered any other jobs but He was elevated, the defensive coordinator. If there were other D.C. jobs that offered him the opportunity to call plays, well, then the Bills would probably have to keep him. if, If they wanted to keep him, they would have him call plays. So we don't exactly know if another job was right there. He did get elevated. He got the promotion. The Bills just don't want to tell us right now whether or not he will, in fact, get the ability to call plays. So we wait. I think the general consensus is that he probably will. Just reading McDermott. 8030550-1888-550-2550. Jeremy White with you here on a, uh, Tuesday. Gonna be nice. Gonna be in the fifties tomorrow. Gonna be in the fifties as well before the temperature rockets down into the twenties for uh, a quick cold spell and then back up on the weekend looking good again. You can join us 8030550 550 on WGR. All right, B, Caller 5 to win a pair of tickets to the Men's College Basketball Tournament Watch Party at Seneca Resort and Casino, Thursday, March 21st, or Sunday, March 24th. It's an open court ticket, includes unlimited access to the fantastic buffet, five hours of tournament viewing, high-speed internet, and a cash bar. First come, first serve seating, must be 21 and up to win. Visit com for details. Caller 5 wins a pair of tickets to the Men's College Basketball Tournament Watch Party. Boy, the court storming controversy, huh? I have stormed a court and a field. Field once, court, maybe just once, now that I'm thinking about it. Back at the carrier dome. But of course the you know, the massive controversy. I saw Jay Billis going all in that kids that storm a court should be arrested, and then you stop having that anymore. You had a Duke player get hurt. When Wake Forest fans stormed the court, and it's a big, uh, a big con- controversy, a big topic about whether or not it is, in fact, like a part of college sports. Should it be there forever? You had the Duke player get hurt. You had Caitlin Clark had a run in where she was nearly knocked over, and there's no doubt that players are put in a position a tough, a tough spot. They're they're put in danger. The whole idea. Of any one person running on the court is an instant tackle security out of here arrested. You know, if there's one person, that's illegal. You can't do that. But when the buzzer sounds, if there's a thousand people, well, that's just part of the game, right? I do see both sides. I would say, you know, is the kickback, is the pushback because of this one injury to the Duke player a little too much, a little too heated? I think yes. I think it really is. I mean... There have been lots and lots and lots of these, and guys don't always get hurt. In the past, aren't teams able to do a little bit more to get players to safety? Maybe? I mean, it depends. Sometimes it's an impromptu buzzer-beater, and everyone just spills out onto the court. Then sometimes it's a team that's going to knock off a powerhouse by 17 points, and they start to prepare for the storming of the court. Students start to come down. That's the one I was a part of when I stormed the court like a college kid would at Syracuse. They must have been winning by like, I don't know, maybe 10, 20. It was very much, a, okay, everyone's going to go. Knock yourself out. Let's make sure we get people on the court safely. Let's get the players off the court safely. If you have the opportunity to do that as a security team, then that's that's fine. You get people out of there and people storm the court and then you know, can still have injuries but most of the time the the storming the court discourse gets right down to whether or not your win was good enough to storm the court like if you're Duke and you beat a team on a buzzer beater and that team is not ranked and you were favored by seven you shouldn't you know you shouldn't storm the court you're you've got your programs that feel like they're above storming the court. For me, what's the what's the solution? I mean, if they took it out of the game, I don't think anybody's going to be too upset outside of their college kids. You know, it, it can be a, a scene of chaos. I, I just the idea of arresting every kid, which came from Jay Billis, like seems I, I get what he's going for. It's extreme. The whole point is, if we do that, kids wouldn't storm the court anymore. And you could say, which I've seen, these kids just, they just want to be on TV. They just want to take a selfie, whatever. They've seen 20 years of people before them running on courts when their team wins, and they want to do that too, which, thats is that the reason that I did it? When Syracuse won a Big East championship, the Donovan McNabb, the Steven Brominski tight end throwback at the end of the game, everybody poured out of the student section out of the field. And I did that. Why did I do it? <laughs> I don't know. Your couch kid seems like fun. It wasn't to get on TV. It was a thrill. You know, if you go to a school where you have a program that you care about, it's a th- you 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 root hard. Where else are you closer to your team than when you're at the college? John and Marilla, on this quickly. Hey, John. Good morning.
3: Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, take a look at the tape of the Duke player walking and I haven't heard this on any of the stations or anything yet, but if you watch his first two steps of him walking, his his legs are directly in front of his uh, perpendicular, or sorry, parallel to his body. And when that kid's running by him, his he takes an extra probably two or three inches on his step, and it looks like, to me, it looks like he tries to trip the Duke kid or the... Uh, the Wake Forest fan hmm. when he's walking off the court. Because watch his step pattern going into his final step. And I bet you you can see a good extra three inches he reaches out right when the kid's walking by because it, 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 that never happens. That, that never, ever happens. And you watch.
1: All right. I will, Uh, thanks, Sean. I'll go back and watch it one more time. He, he, he took a bunch of hits during the incident. He, he called it, uh, Filipowski called it ridiculous. Kyle Filipowski. He's walking off the field. No, nah, I mean, I don't see that. I don't, I don't see what I see is he gets bumped and hit a few times. No, I mean, I'm, I don't think he's trying to trip anybody personally. He gets clipped up top and then it's a sea of people. And then he's limping. It's pretty, it all happens pretty quickly. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Thanks John for the phone call. Um, you know, will there be a change of some sort? Quite possibly. But it is one of those things. It's a little bit like if I could, bar- if I could make a quick analogy. It's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how much I want to make it like jumping through tables. But when you see people doing insane things at a sporting event because they care so much, it does help give it importance. As ridiculous as it is. I mean, all the stories about... Bill's tailgating over the years, and whether it's pizzas out of a filing cabinet or shots out of a bowling ball or people jumping off a snowbank through a table, that that adds to the lore. And you know, it, court storming in college basketball—it's it would be part of the lore, while maybe inappropriate at times and injured at other times, injury risks at other times. Like, okay, that. Does to me it 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 has a place, or at least it a- it has added to the atmosphere for decades, for for as long as the sport's been around. I mean, who was the first ever person school to storm a court? That's a great question. I haven't looked that up right now. Um, <laughs> I've got the Florida Gators storm the court for the first time in program history, but just wonder wh- whoever has done it. Everybody's probably done it. Every court has been. Run on by students, you know they're college kids. At some point, maybe you got to step in, but I don't know. I think it seems like a lot of reaction. If I'm the the Duke team, the Duke player, I'm upset for sure. Um, I don't think it's cut and dry though. I think it's it's that easy. Eight oh three oh five fifty. PJ in Buffalo was at the game. Hey PJ,
2: how are you? Good morning.
1: Good morning. Uh,
2: yeah, I have a couple opinions on that. I was there. Uh, my daughter's a Wake student. Um, one of the things I heard in the last 41 Duke the court was still, or were they lost? The court was stormed 39 times.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: and that's, that, that's, I mean, so that's crazy in itself. But another thing, uh, the hockey in me here, there's one point whatever seconds left. You're down by four. And the coach has the starters on the court. Like, I, I'm i not sticking up for a week. I know the guy got hurt, but in hockey, you don't... There's one second left, you're down by, like, three. There's no way your best players are on the ice.
1: Yeah, I mean... I wonder what you, yeah, th- thanks, BJ. It's a four-point game, and, yeah, like, that final play is ex- is... Whatever, the game's gonna end. I feel like four is not that far off, and... You know, navigating the end of a game like that, you're probably at that point working with security because before that final second ticks, it's um, like, again, like I'm, I'm speaking my experience, having been to a game where that happened, being held back. I don't mean like physically, but like, hold on security's Wait, wait. Everybody's off the court. Okay, go ahead. Knock yourselves out. Go stand in the middle of the court. Take a picture. Do whatever you want to do. I mean this would have been 1990 1999 98 99 for me let the carrier though 8030550 thanks pj at the game have you did you see that there's a so there's a fun twitter conversation going around right now which is just what's the game you were at your your number one I was at that game what's your number one be a lot of people for you know like the comeback game bills and sabre stuff but What's your number one, I was at that game? That if you were just kept kicking up a conversation with a stranger on a bus, oh, oh, the game I've been to that you know about? Because, you know, I'm not sure if everybody's going to know about the Bills-Patriots perfect game. For us, it's, of course, important. The Ottawa fight game, maybe that's one in the hockey world, hockey circles, right? Like, what's the what's the biggest one? I was at that game. You have a good one, Josh? I don't really have anything that would be, like, national. I have, like, some Buffalo ones, like the RJ game or, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't actually been to that many memorable games now that I think about it. Yeah, you're there young haven't still. haven't been too many. I was at that game. Sal tweeted about this last night. It was the six-overtime Syracuse-UConn uh, Big East tournament game. Six overtimes. I remember watching that game. I did not remember that Sal was at that game, but he was. I was at the Bills-Broncos game this year. That's kind of memorable for bad things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mine's the Batista bat flip game. I was at that game. Wow. That one's been fun. I mean, I could talk about it any day of the the week. It was amazing. 803-0550. Okay, break time. Then we uh, shuffle off to Indianapolis. Sal joins us from the Combine. He's there this week. Sean McDermott spoke yesterday. We'll talk with Sal about uh, what McDermott had to say and uh, where the week goes from a Combine standpoint. That's coming up here on WGR.
0: Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal
3: Capaccio.
4: Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio.
1: Sal Capaccio.
3: On WGR.
1: Sal Capaccio joining us from Indianapolis. Coverage of the NFL Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss. Then free support for life. Awaken180WeightLoss.com. And by Outlet Liquor, when you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Jeremy White with you, Joe out today, and Sal on the Western Hotline. Hey, Sal, good morning.
5: Good morning. What was the game you stormed the court for? I mean, you never mentioned it.
1: I'm pretty sure it was a Syracuse win over UConn. Um, I'll have to look up like the 1998 Syracuse basketball schedule or 99 Syracuse basketball schedule because I definitely went on the court for a basketball game, mm-hmm. and I—I I know I, I st- the one I remember specifically, and you'll remember this: the McNabb to Brominski t- touchdown to beat v- Virginia <laughs> Virginia Tech. I went on the field for yeah. that one,
5: yeah. Uh, th- back, like throwing it the other way, he rolls right, he throws yep. left, right. Syracuse that, used to the lo- they used that. to love the yes. tight end
1: throwback play.
5: <laughs> they did. I also stormed the court. The at the time Carrier Dome court. It was 1994. I have the date here, February 12, 1994. A win over Kentucky. Hmm. The the uh, Kentucky came to the dome in '94. They were highly ranked. Syracuse beat them. I also stormed the court. Uh, it's I've always been pro stor- court storming. I mean, doing it. You know, because I think it's a part of the experience. I've always said I can't wait. Like, we've watched some stuff like that, my son and I, and I'm like, look at these kids. This is crazy. And I said, you know, one day you're going to do that, and you're going to FaceTime me and say, Dad, look at it. I'm on the court right <laughs> now, right? And I said, and I'm going to be, be like, get, go, go have a good time. But uh, a couple incidents lately, I do think they have to at least visit, you know, how or what to do about it. Not really sure, because I've yeah. always thought it was part of the cool experience, but at the same time, you, you definitely can't have people hurt like that.
1: Sure, right. Like, yeah, it's, it, I don't know, Sal, not to get, like, too deep into this, i I Having lived the life of the college kid just out there trying to have a good time, but not trying to hurt anybody, but realizing yeah. people do get hurt. Um, right. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, like, shame those kids for doing the same thing that kids have done to help grow the 100%. atmosphere for college basketball for decades. But, of course, if college basketball did want to make some sort of adjustment, I, w-
5: I would see the, the reason. Yeah, for sure. So I told, I hope Filipowski's okay. I think he sprained his ankle. But, you yeah. know, it was a shame to see. But it was a cool scene as well. I like, mean, you know, for me watching that, like, wow, look at that. And then you see that happen. So, yeah. Um, hey, look, I mean, we, we live in a city, Jeremy, to bring it back to football. We, the Bills fans, it hasn't happened now. It's not going to happen now. They made changes. But, I mean, the goalposts came down a few times in Buffalo when yeah. Bills, the Bills won big games and the fans, you know, stormed the field. Yeah.
1: I wonder, could it happen again? Like, if they were to win the AFC title at home, would people, like, try and jump on the field? People, try
5: I mean, oh, I, I'm sure people would try. I just don't know if it would be able to happen these days. Yeah. Also, but there's no reason. Well, you might they might want to go down the field, but there's no incentive to tear down the goalposts anymore because they're not right. The mechanical. Right. And right. they just basically come down on their own before that. So,
1: Sal, you're in Indianapolis. Sean McDermott spoke yesterday. Um, Talked for a, a good long time, right? Like, there was a lot to get to for the head mm-hmm. coach. Uh, what would you come away with as a, as, as a big picture from what McDermott had to say?
5: Well, look, I mean, his staff is getting younger. And there, there was, you know, the first question was about, you know, Bobby Babich, who's his new defensive coordinator, and if he's going to call plays or if Sean's going to call plays. And he said they're still working through that. Now, I'm sure that they're at some level of understanding of what they want to do, and he didn't reveal that to us. Um, but I wouldn't doubt that they really are going to work through it, and maybe there's a mind of and by him saying that, by the way, because I just want to rewind, rewind a year, okay, Jeremy. Last year, after we found out that Leslie Frazier was not going to be, you know, on the bill staff, it came out and I learned and other people learned pretty quickly within the next few weeks. That Sean McDermott was going to call plays like it wasn't said, but we knew it like we were told, OK, this is where it's trending, this is where it's going, you know, just by people who kind of knew things. And then eventually did. It's been a month since Bobby Babbitt's been named defensive coordinator and they're still talking as they are working through it. That that lends itself to me to think that there's a good chance that Bobby Babbage might do it. Because we haven't heard anything about, you know, McDermott keeping it right now. So that's interesting. That's just my guess and my read on it and trying to read the tea leaves.
1: On that, you know, I, I remember at training camp asking McDermott this last year about taking over calling plays if that was because like if he felt more comfortable taking over play calling in part because he had veterans on the offensive side. Like think back to the start of training camp, Sal. He had Dorsey entering year two as opposed to a first year play caller. And the number of veterans that would have been on that offensive staff like to me, that's one of the reasons he was able to step away from the offense and focus on defense. And now, like as you bring about bring up all these changes, and this includes a new special teams group, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've it, young coaches, he might want to have more of a you know you could say a step back CEO, but it might whatever whether that seems like it's hands off, that just might be more hands on in different
5: ways. Yeah, not special teams, but secondary for sure, right? You Thank you, right. The, so you secondary. Coaches. Yeah, that's right. You have different coaches in the secondary. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because uh, he does have a younger staff. You know what he said, Jeremy? It was really interesting. I think you'll like this. He mentioned it was kind of a just a a comment that you really didn't really think about until I went back and re-listened. And he mentioned how he's got younger coaches and a few who've been in college, even Bobby Babich who's been in college, um, Jamila Dye now, the new corners coach who's been in college, a couple other guys, And he says, and they see the game through a couple different prisms. And I thought that was interesting to say something like that, right? Like he's actually thinking about how these guys came up through college where the game has changed a little bit more and they're doing things. And now they're being added to his staff. So don't think for a second that didn't matter, right? That like he is thinking about how the game has evolved in different ways. And these guys have seen it through their lens. So I thought that was an interesting comment just to say, Hey, we have guys on the staff who've been in college and, you know, see things through their prism and I, I, to through a different lens basically um so I, I thought that was interesting uh the other thing that you know you could touch on that if you want but the other thing that I thought was really interesting is I asked him about creating offensive uh, explosive plays on offense he talked about it when he met with the media at the end of season press conference and he reiterated I mean this is something that I think the bills have really talked about so his quote was and I think this is where it's kind of even evolved a little bit from a month ago, Jeremy, where he mentioned Rack. Now we've heard about Rack before, right? I mean we yep. knew that the Bills wanted to be a rack team and it's like, okay, well this is what they want to do. He didn't go full out and say we have to be better at Rack. What he said was though whether it's able to throw the ball down the field and complete it through the air down the field or get a short catch and run it down the field, you have to have the ability to do that, especially because of the way defenses are defending you these days. Split safety looks, keeping everything underneath, making you be patient. That's fine, but there better be a play in there where you get it down the field somehow. And that was really interesting.
1: Sal so Capaccio joining us in the Western Hotline from Indianapolis you know on that the pursuit of those plays and the pursuit of explosive plays to find out they were 19th in the league in in explosive passing plays was it's kind of jarring probably for Bills fans because you know even though you see defenses key in on certain things you want to find a way and I I think this is what the Bills are kind of getting at where Josh Allen really does have as many things at his disposal as possible just the the presence of someone that can give them those explosive plays means that it seems to me, Sal, it means it would be defended differently, and life should just get easier overall for Allen.
5: Yeah, I agree. I think that that's been a bit of a theme here, which is make life easier on Josh. Make things easier on Stefan Diggs, which, you know, again, has been something talked about, you know, this offseason. Brennan Bean, I went back and re-listened to all the stuff he said about Diggs, and he said, you know, we have to get him more help so teams can't bracket him and take him away. You have Sean McDermott talking about explosive plays and player acquisition. So I, I just think that already we are set up for this week of there. They I think they bought a ticket on your train. I mean I'm just saying I think they did. Yep. That's what I think is happening here. To be honest with you, yeah.
1: They've also started restructuring season. We saw Connor McGovern freeze yeah. uh, up about 3.4 in space. <laughs> Has uh, I, I you know when when talking about all these restructure sales, one of the things we kind of have to watch is to see. How aggressive they want to be doing it. And I wonder if in, in conversations with Brandon Bean in the past, do they have that as something that they know they're going to do? Or is it, we'll see. You know, we might not plan on moving player X's money around, but if it's the difference between getting this free agent defensive end or not, we might decide in that moment to do it.
5: They don't love doing it. Uh, Brandon Bean would rather not do that a lot, but he, he's willing to. And he said that but he doesn't love doing it. So the bills basically the way I see their contracts written. And, you know, when you look at some of the base salary and how they do this, I think they kind of build it into their own structure of, you know what? We're going to give a high base salary in a couple of years. That'll give us that ability at that time. If we need to, but if we don't need to, then that's fine. And we don't have that, you know, that cap challenge right there. So to me, it's a little bit of, Uh, the latter of what you said, which is we'll do it if we need to. And I, I think they know for the next few years, they're going to, they're going to have to get creative and do this a little bit. And you're, you know what you're going to see this year, Jeremy? I I can almost guarantee you. Same thing you saw with Leonard Floyd last year and maybe another guy or two. I know, I know a Milano extension and when they extended Hyde, Deion Dawkins, whether it's extension or, um, signing, you're going to see void years. Now, I've been asked by people, what is a void year? It's a good question. You know, you talk about it's a new language kind of we've learned over the last few years because teams are really taking advantage of it. The Saints do it a lot, as you know, that they kind of ex- keep extending their salary cap. The Bills have done it a lot more often here. So what a void year is, is when a player signs a contract for, let's say, four years and you give a $20 million signing bonus. Normally, that's $5 million each year on the cap. It's simple. It's $20 million divided by four. But what you do is you add what's called void years. They're fake years. So you actually sign a six-year contract to spread that money out even more. But years five and six don't count. The player's actually a free agent. They void. So you're counting it on your cap for your purposes of spreading it out. And it does cost you on your cap when it comes time. But the player's actually a free agent. This, ha- this is happening with Leonard Floyd this year. Leonard Floyd signed a one-year deal last year for $7 million. But the Bills put one void year on it, so for the Bills it was a two-year deal. For Leonard Floyd, it was a one-year deal. If that makes sense, that's basically the best way to put it. For the team, it's you know the the void years count for money purposes. For the player, the player's a free agent after the term that it's up.
1: Sal Capaccio joining us on the Western Hotline from Indianapolis as uh, the combine. Gets rolling this week. The entire NFL world descends upon it. So I wonder, you know, back to McDermott a little bit. His comments on the competition committee, which yeah. that's a thing that I was reading about. It that um, boy who boy, it's, it's, I'm going to blank on this. Somebody said it's actually a pretty high honor that for a coach to be selected for the competition committee means that you know the yeah. the league has decided this guy he rates, he matters, he's pretty safe. We can count on him. He it, it, it kind of makes you a figure in the
5: league on some level. I I would say Jeremy for my money, and I think that a lot of people would agree. It is the most prestigious committee you could be on in the league. You are appointed by the commissioner Roger Goodell, and you yes, the, the, if you look at the people on the committee, they are you know people who have a stake in this league. They are head coaches, GMs, front office executives with people with names who've been around. Mike Tomlin has been on the competition committee for years. Rich McKay has been the chairman of the competition committee. He's the CEO of the Atlanta Falcons. You have Katie Blackburn. She's the executive vice president of the Cincinnati Bengals. Chris Greer, who's the general manager of the Dolphins. Steven Jones, we all know him from Dallas. John Mara, president. New York Giants. Then you have McDermott and McVay, who are just named, and Mike Tomlin. Now, sometimes it's nine people sometimes it's 10 or 11 I think it's been as much as 12 I don't think there's an actual number that you know has to be um you know I've heard people think that you know you're not going to be selected unless Goodell thinks that you're going to be around a while and I'm sure that's true it doesn't mean that he necessarily thinks you're going to be the head coach of that team for a while but you'll probably be in some sort of prominent position in the league for a while which is why guys like McDermott and McVay and Tomlin you know get chosen. So it is a very prestigious committee. He it was kind of like I I thought he was kind of describing like the Hall of Fame the way it works. He said Troy Vincent texted him and he got a text and he thought that the team did something wrong. Like he had to call Troy Vincent back, right? And then he called him back and he was asked and he said it was pretty, pretty humbling. And he even got a text he said from Bill Poleon about it, how important it is, because you're a steward of the game. You are creating and discussing rules that will last Really, you know, generations for the game, possibly, but definitely for several years. So that's what their task is this week. So just so everybody's clear, they're not voting on any rules this week. The owners and everybody, they're not all getting together for that. That's the owners' meetings in a month. They're laying the groundwork. The committee talks about these things now. And then from there, you'll have those proposals that happen at the owners' meetings in a month.
1: Okay. And, uh, you know, on on being on that, I don't, I don't know if this came up, Sal, is McDermott – would he be comfortable? Is he allowed to talk about how he, what he thinks about some of these things? Because there are two <laughs> big ones right now that I think fans have a lot of opinions on. One, what to do about kickoffs. Troy Vinson said that they can't keep going the way they've been going on kickoffs because it's a ceremonial play. Mm-hmm. Then the other is the fumble out of the end zone, which I saw Judy Batista reporting. There's not a lot of momentum to change that. And, you know, Mac- McDermott being a part of the committee. Now, the committee doesn't decide, but like you said,
5: right? They, they just take
1: it to the rest of the league for a, bu- for a big vote.
5: They do if there's enough momentum. Gotcha. right? They'll discuss it. And if the competition committee feels like this is something we have to take to the rest of the owners at the owners' meetings, um, they may decide here there's not enough there that could be like, eh, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to waste our time when we get to the owners' meetings. So we did. We asked them, like the, the little media that was around there, we asked Sean McDermott about this, uh, each one of them, which was, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Each rule that came up. In typical Sean McDermott fashion, he never really gave you a full answer, but he also kind of joked and said, "Well, I'm on the committee now. I can't really give my stance on it." Um, He he did kind of to me give a little bit of an indication he feels a little bit about the the fumble out of the end zone rule, the way it was described by Judy, which is, "Hey, you got to protect the ball, right?" I mean, that's and he said, "Yeah, it, it benefited the Bills in their game against Kansas City." We know that, right? The Bills got the ball back when Kansas City fumbled it out of the end zone. And I even said that to him. I said, "I know, despite the fact that your team benefited from it in a game, like what, what do you think about it?" But he mentioned the player. You know, make sure that the player holds on the ball. He said that's a, that's a coaching point. You know, yep. you coach. You got you got you got to be able to hold onto the ball. So I kind of feel like where he might stand on that. He didn't give an indication on the other ones. He basically said like he's done a lot of listening and hearing what other people have to say, and it's a lot to take in. And then from there they'll discuss more.
1: Sal, so I found the date. I can tell you the date that okay. I st- that I stormed the court. I, I've, I've discovered there you go. Because it's I'm I'm a student at Syracuse, and they beat UConn, and it was would have been the game that they started the season. Syracuse did 16 and 0, and they were ranked f- fourth in the country, and they beat UConn, and went on to uh, who knows what they did that season, but they kind of blew out UConn. They were up big at the half, and yeah, 44 26 at halftime. So this was a game that was kind of over a long way through. So it would have been January 24th, 2000. I stormed the court at the Carrier Dome. Mm. Now, this is a good example, though, of like what we're talking about. How Dukes is a close game, and do you pull your starters? This is one where Syracuse fans, a college kids, sorry, stormed the court, winning by 14. <laughs> like <laughs> They had a chance to say, like, all right, let's let these idiots get on the court, and let's get security to get the players to safety, and let these idiots run out here. because. You know, a 14-point final minute of the game, you can prepare for that kind of thing.
5: Yeah, and um, I disagree with the caller called earlier who said it's a four-point game. Get your starters off. Four points, man. There are four-point plays in basketball, and I know they're very rare, but all it takes is for a technical foul for something stupid, you know, and then your team gets the ball with a second left. Or you know, if a player, we've seen, I mean, they're college players, right? They do dumb things sometimes. That's the charm of college sports where, you know, they sometimes things go awry, where maybe you throw it in and Kyle Filipowski, for example, goes up for a three and someone bumps his elbow while he drives. Drains it, right? yep, yep. so I wouldn't get the starters off in that in that situation. That's a little uh, too thin. Now that said, I think the challenge now, Jeremy, is for you to find that Syracuse UConn video of two thousand <laughs> to see if you see yourself. I have looked for the Syracuse Kentucky game in ninety four. I can't find it. I only find the other Kentucky games that they played, like in the national championship. So if you can find that one, maybe we can see Jeremy and his flow running right, on yeah. the court after that game.
1: I didn't have flow back then. I had a lot much shorter, oh, much shorter hair okay. in college. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the name: a blast from the past for you, Jake Voss.
5: He's on that UConn team. Jake Voskell. Jake Hey, speaking of blasts from the past, I, amazingly, so I went to the Damon basketball game this weekend. It was great. Great college hoops here in the area. If you get a chance, D2, Damon, they played uh, Duval. I didn't even realize Duval was D2. They used to be D3, I guess, but, you know, it's it's really Mike McDonald's just done such a great job with that Damon program. And, you know, we went to the game, saw Murph there. Uh, Former Bills trainer Bud Carpenter was there. There's a, Howard Simon. Is that, Howard Simon's doing like some play-by-play for the radio for those games? It's crazy. So I, I, you know, you're big when Howard Simon shows up to your game, right? But anyway, I'm looking through the roster. And I see the name Shumpert from Syracuse. Preston Shumpert, who was a great shooter at Syracuse, both of his sons play at Damon University. And I did not know that until I went to the game. And Preston was at the game, and I got a chance to speak to him as well. So that was really cool.
1: He was on that team, too. And I did find the highlight. I'm I'm, I'm watching the court storming from January 24, 2000 right now on YouTube. Sal, what's going on with this week? Uh, the schedule for you and for the Extra Point Show, the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show, as we kind of roll through with our our continuing combine coverage.
5: Really important day today. We're going to hear from Brandon Bean today. That's at one fifteen p.m. So yeah, I'll have I'll be on the Extra Point Show. Uh, Joe's off today, but Zach's going to fill in for him. And Zach's going to be back in the studio where you are. I'm going to be here. We're going to be walking around. Well, it's the convention center, but there's this big room where everybody speaks, and there's a lot of media there. There's a media room. I'm going to grab some people, uh, kind of bring them on, get their thoughts, so we'll do that. But Brandon Bean at 1.15 p.m. today. There'll be more competition committee stuff going on. Today's really the day, Jeremy, where things get going. It's the first full day. We're going to hear from a lot of general managers, I think some head coaches today. I think general managers and head coaches. It's all different, but... Like every fifteen minutes, there's different podiums going on and different people talking. So you go over there. Brandon Bean's the one that, you know, we're gonna be uh thinking about and, and caring about mostly. And then obviously the players, the prospects, they start rolling in. Defensive linemen and linebackers are first to go. They start rolling in today and talking to the media as well.
1: All right. So Capaccio from the Combine. Thanks, Sal. You got it. Continuing coverage of the NFL Combine brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com. And by Outlet Liquor, when you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Have placed a Twitter poll up. Have you ever stormed a court or a field? Where and when? Got a lot of answers. Look at at all these degenerates just looking to take pictures of themselves on a court. Look at you all. Um, We'll get you the numbers on how many people have and haven't and if you want to tell your story 8030550 have you done it you stormed a court you've been on a field maybe not like as a streaker but you know the usual kind the the normal kind that might not be normal going forward if jay billis and uh, a lot of the college world gets its way of banning those which you know hey there'd be merit 8030550 on wgr
6: As an Arizona player, Duke player, typically the really good teams, I've had the court stormed on me four or five times. It's a part of it. It sucks. You don't want to see this. There has been things that happened, but this is about college basketball. This is about college football. To say something, and I love Jay Billis, a legend in this game. That is asinine to suggest that. Because for me, when you look at this, yes, get your players off the floor. We saw the situation with Caitlin Clark, but this is a part of college sports. It always has been for, what, 40 years, 50 years. You know what? Even in football, you're going to stop all the people from running on the field when Alabama loses to Florida AM? and m No, you're not going to stop it.
1: That's Richard Jefferson. Got a lot of court storming. Takes flying around and I think they're all they're all right. Is that fair? Jay Billis, I watched a in the break, I watched a video of Jay Billis from a month ago. He's on a court at a college basketball arena in front of fans for, you know, college game day. And here they are, college game day talking about court stormings, not because of the Duke one. This is a month ago. And on the screen it says four courts stormed this week. And here's Billis to talk about how it shouldn't ever happen. And the fans fans boo him. You know, you've seen College Game Day. I really think, and he, he, he makes a correct point to say that ESPN and all of the college atmosphere, the building of college sports into this crazy, you want to say powder keg, whatever you want to say, it has all happened as a result of boosting up how intense it's supposed to be. Duke has long set the standard for how intense these games are with the Cameron Crazies and, you know, whether over the years it's Dick Vitale or whoever, college sports, college game day. Look what college game day does every single week going to these big college football games. And there's 5,000 people standing behind the stage holding up these very weird signs. Some of them are crude and get seized. Others are just kind of funny. Others, you have to look up the meanings online. You know, it's just... College sports has become, you know, whatever cultish, however you want to say it, and a lot of a lot of people go go to college, and whether you're watching D three, D two, D one, or you know they get for different names now, it just seems to me like acting like it's a problem now or today. Like there's one there's one piece of the quote from Billis that I don't like because I think it's just low hanging fruit. It's the entitlement of the kids. Oh, okay. I mean, were the were the people that ripped on the goalpost when the Bills beat the Dolphins, were they entitled? That, that, that's, that's a word that gets used by old people today to talk about young people today. Oh, they're entitled. Court storming has been happening long before entitlement became some sort of buzzword about a generation. So that part of it misses me. The rest of it, safety of players... Safety of students. Yeah, I get that. That makes total sense. I have stormed the court once, and a field once, both while I was at Syracuse. They got wins. Looking back, would I say that storm the court for a 14-point win against UConn was necessary? No. But, you know, a lot of times it's also not exactly violent like it was Wake Forest Duke. It's kind of just, I'm going to walk out here. And then, uh, all right, I'm looking around. So this is what it's like to stand at mid-court. Okay. Now I'll go back to the dorm. So eight hundred three hundred five fifty. I put up a Twitter poll, have you ever done it? And if so, where and when? And have a lot of stories uh, to get to via Twitter. And Tim in Rochester is going to lead us off. Hey, Tim. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing well. So I got a little different one. This is from
2: about spring of 2003, winter, spring. Um, I was going to a small uh, D3 school out in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, we had a pretty decent cross-country team. So we got to sometimes go out and uh, run against the big boys at Michigan. We had a nice indoor track out there. So it was always real exciting Um, for any folks who were into distance running back then. Alan Webb was, you know, a really good college miler. So we got to run against him. That was cool. So, you know, do a race, get waxed (laughs) by the big boys. And then we go for a cool down. And... Couple of guys that were, you know, on my team. They're all from Michigan, so they're like, "Hey, let's uh, let's uh, go run over by the big house." <laughs> I was like, "All right, all right, that's cool. We'll check that out." And so we get going. We are over there, and I was we get to the gate, and I'm like, "Hey, there's no lock on this gate." <laughs> are you think what I'm thinking? <laughs> and they're all like, "Oh yeah, we're in." <laughs> so yeah, we stormed the big house, and this is like. You know, probably February, so there's snow everywhere. And if you if you watch games, um, you know you got the brick wall. It's probably about six feet tall, maybe or so. Yeah. Jump down onto the field, and we just start you know running around, tackling each other, a bunch of skinny little twerps, <laughs> distance runners. You know, <laughs> throwing snowballs. It was just great. You know,
5: nobody nice. bothered
2: us. Didn't get caught. Definitely like such a cool memory though. Just to look up and that I mean the big house is enormous. Yep. You ever been there? Yep. It's just just insane yeah so yeah that was a cool one
1: very cool thanks tim you know just that idea of standing at ice level field level for a building that you grow up maybe going to and never being in that spot i mean it's pretty cool josh you were you went for the the company had a skate at the arena a couple weeks ago and you're posting pictures from that i i We went a couple times where the Sabres would have season ticket holders at the end of the season. You can paint the ice, you know, and then they take pictures. It's a really cool event for, you know, kids and families. You go paint the ice when the season ends. Hopefully, do it again this year. And, you know, I've been to that building a lot of times. And there's something about walking on the ice or being down on it where you kind of look up and see, and you can't help but just think, like, man it's 19,000 people there are much bigger stadiums there's the big house but being at field level of of a stadium that you've gone to a million times and been up in the stands it's an experience that's the one thing i couldn't stop doing when i was skating around i was i just kept looking at all the seats and thinking oh i've sat there i've sat here i've sat there and it's like it's it seems so small when you're like way up in the 300s but when you're on the ice every everything looks huge and it's it's just such a surreal experience i don't even know if i can really fully describe it because i i just couldn't get over the fact of like looking at everything yeah and seeing like the little things that you can't see from the seats and it's just i don't know it's really interesting yeah it gives a perspective of being the person in the spotlight that's down there at the the pitcher's mound or whatever i think about this with different places i've been when i went to barcelona walked out onto the field where barcelona plays and that's a that's a gigantic stadium and you just think Man, what this place must be like to be a person on the field here. That's like a hundred thousand people. It's crazy. They have seats that my my memory of that place is I'm I'm looking at some of the seats, thinking like that can't be up to code. Like I think there's a seat on top of the jumbotron on the one end and one stacked in the corner. How many seats? Ninety nine thousand three hundred and fifty four. Yeah. that's probably the biggest one I've ever been in. Because I I have shamefully I've never been to the big house. I know, I know. I don't know how it's gone. I've gone this far. I've been to Michigan several times. I went to Yost Ice Arena a handful of times. I've been next to the big house. I needed what Tim did. I needed I needed to just walk by and find the door open and then, you know, just walk in. Steve in Buffalo is next up. Hey, Steve, good morning.
3: Hey, good morning. I really enjoy your topic this morning. It brought back a fond memory for me. Uh, I was 14, and I used to go to the Bills games with my dad and my uncle, who are no longer with us. Um, I went to the championship game when the Bills beat the Chargers, and I got on the field, and one of my memories is that back then they had the two goalposts, and the guys were tearing down the the goalposts, and I got to touch the pad like it was almost like a holy grail that protected the goalposts. And it was just, it was pandemonium there. Uh, It was crazy that when the Bills beat the Chargers, and they were basically losing that game until the Keith Lincoln Mike Stratton play, and it was a very exciting time, so thanks for the memory, guys. It was exciting.
1: Yeah, thanks, Steve. 1964 championship game. Uh, Johnny in Buffalo. Hey, Johnny, good morning.
4: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, You know, a couple court sermons that I love to see. um, One of them was Syracuse back in 2007. I was at the game. Uh, They played Pitt, and Pitt was ranked, like, number two or three in the country, Um, and Cuse was on an unbelievable run. Obviously, that's a mellow year. But Cuse, uh, end of game situation, somebody launches ball down the court. Everybody, team crowd thinks the game's over. They rush the court, uh, but they have to review it. They put, like, I don't know, a second back on the clock so they have to clear everybody off. Uh, they clear everybody off the court. I uh, can't remember the Pitts player name. Ridicu- they had some ridiculous guards back then, but inbound the ball half court shot crowd thinks he got it off late but he hits his half court shot and so they have to clear the court again yeah to review it and then uh, after they review no good crowd finally rushes for a third time you know pandemonium on the court that was awesome um and then one on a much much smaller level uh crowd, court serving that i was a part of um i went to Kinesis College and. Uh, back in 2008, it was um, Canisius was on like a 12-game losing streak, playing Niagara, who had you know one of the better players in the country actually uh, on the team, and Canisius, 12-game losing streak. Frank Turner and, and the team they just won by I think three points. Crowd rushed the court because we had a, you know we had a top 10, number one play on SportsCenter that night from a a uh, ridiculous dunk from Elton Frazier. It was a lot of fun to rush. You know, you just, you're caught up in the moment of everything. And no matter how big or small the school, um, I feel like when you're a college kid, you've got so much energy, you know, you're with your, you're with your people who, who you're living with, who yeah. you're doing life with here. And you're, you're supporting a team. You're supporting your school and you're having fun. And I, I can't see court Summer getting taken out of the game. Cause it, that's what college sports is. It's emotion. Yeah. It's, raw passion so i love it
1: yeah thanks johnny you know i've been texting with howard the last couple of days um just because his son went to michigan state and you know to to watch howard even kind of just over the over those years when that was happening just jump on and be like well now now i'm a spartan <laughs> like i that's the 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 college whatever that atmosphere these these court stormings these college athletics it is a hundred percent a tool for recruiting the idea that you can get students to come to your school because they will have hey here's this thing that we all love to rally around i mean think about we sit here and talk about the bills and the the sabers and we talk about sports all day and a lot of times when you are a fan of a team it's because you're born there your dad your mom you know your sister whatever they were fans before you and you woke up and you were wearing Zubas onesies and you're watching the Bills. Like that that was chosen for you. That's your life. And when it comes to college sports, you get the opportunity to say, well, I'm gonna go here instead. You know, if you have the opportunity to go to college, it's not for everybody, it doesn't need to be at all. But one big selling point is like, hey, you want to go to Alabama? This is what we do on Sundays during football season or Saturdays. So we do on Saturdays during football season. And that can be a, a big pull, of course, going, mean, well you know, all things equal. I got a good education here. I got a good education here. But I have the chance to, oh, I'm a Kentucky basketball fan now. Oh, I'm going to be whatever. It's just, it's it's definitely a selling point. And they don't sell you specifically on court storming. But what court storming is, is it is a byproduct of that, that passion, that unification, that bringing everybody together that sports does. Except this is often... More people from around different parts of the world coming together. You've got, you know, students from all over. So it's hard to envision college sports without that. We don't really get it in the NFL anymore. When's the last pro sports event where the it just doesn't happen? And it's probably because it's not a bunch of college kids standing right in the first row or a whole student section, probably. Hockey, why don't, they don't get stormed. I feel like the ice is the main factor. Well, in the one time somebody tried to do that, Rob Ray beat him up. So That yeah, didn't go well. <laughs> See, there you go. College basketball, here's your solution. Uh, put in a mechanism where as soon as the buzzer sounds, the court turns to ice. <clears throat> like, no one will run out there anymore. Like, ah, all right, I'm good. I don't know if that's feasible. Probably not. I don't think science is advanced no. enough yet. We don't have instant frozen courts. No, the best we've got is the time-lapse videos of changing a court to a rink. And those usually take like two hours. The time-lapse is five minutes or two minutes. Anyway, eight zero three zero five fifty one 550 On your court-storming history, if you've got one, you can join us here on WGR. Jeremy White with you. Don Granado, Sabres head coach. He's coming up at 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll check in on the state of the Sabres. They are in Florida with a couple of big ones coming up. Tough set of opponents these next couple games. To follow their three game win streak, so we'll see if they can keep things rolling and keep things alive, you know alive. also an update coming on Jeff Skinner, who left practice, and was going to get some imaging. We'll see what Don can tell us about him. It's all coming up here on w g r It's contest time once again. Be caller 5 to win a four-pack of tickets to the Western New York Sport and Travel Expo coming to the Hamburg Fairgrounds, March 8th through 10th. Visit wny for details and tickets. Caller 5 wins a four-pack of tickets to the Western New York Sport and Travel Expo. That's 2214WGR. That's the number you're going to call. 2214WGR. Jeremy and Joe, but no Joe today. He's out today. Just me. If you missed Sal from the Combine, he checked in at 7 o'clock. We'll talk with Sabres head coach Don Granado coming up in a moment. Sabres and Panthers tonight. Florida, of course, has uh, been red hot. They've been very, very good after, uh, I guess, a slow start. They were not exactly uh, up near the top, but now checking the standings daily. Like I'm, watch- Florida's chasing down Boston. They've got two games in hand, and they're down by just two points. So tough test for the Sabres in playing the Florida Panthers, who have won eight of their last ten. And the Sabres have a three-game win streak. So, try to make it four. If they can, it would be their, of course, first four-game win streak of the season because the three-game win streak was their first. Florida, Tampa, Vegas. Vegas, huh? How much juice is that going to have? Vegas. Still a a good amount? I mean, the first time he who shall not be named... Came back, it was a party. Everything went great. We got a lot of memes out of it. As He said it was the loudest it's ever been. He gave us the, uh-huh, really? And uh, then the next time he came back, he scored a million goals and then went on to won the Stanley Cup. So it feels like, you know, hey, still boo, go for it. Saturday night, 7 p.m., Vegas. After that, it's Winnipeg, Toronto. Those five games, I mean, that, there's, there's not really a pushover in the bunch. Say what you will about Toronto, but for the Sabres, Panthers-Lightning, Vegas-Winnipeg-Toronto. I mean, the Panthers have 80 points. The the Leafs have 74. Winnipeg's having a good season. They've got 77. Vegas got 71. Not an easy stretch. So we'll see if what the Sabres have been able to do here is really find another level and, and be a better team, or if it's a little bit more of, you know, Couple nice wins, couple good breaks. Things aren't falling apart. They have beaten teams like you know Columbus along the way here, which you know they did lose nine to four to Columbus earlier in the season. So, anyway, Sabres head coach Don Granato. When we get back, as uh, we get our weekly visit in, Sabres head coach is next here on WGR. <laughs>
0: It's time to talk Sabres hockey. Let's get the inside story.
1: Here's Sabres head coach, Don Granato. The Don Granato Show is being brought to you by Firth Jewelers. For all the moments in your life, go forth to Firth. By Losey and Ganji. Workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Working hard for hard-working Western New Yorkers. By Roy's Plumbing. Just call Roy's today. We'll take the worry away. And by Town Ford. When you think Ford, think of Town Ford. Now with head coach Don Granado, here's Jeremy White and Joe DiBiase. Get your Sabres head coach Don Granado in just a moment. Jeremy White with you. Joe's out today. Sabres play Florida tonight, then Tampa, then Vegas. No Jack Eichel for Vegas. Long-term injury reserve for him. Vegas, Winnipeg, Toronto. Good, uh, fierce list of five opponents. I mean, Tampa's having a bit of a down year for them, but uh, they are in a playoff spot right now, in the second wild card spot. With 69 points through 60 games. So, a uh, a test here. If the Sabres can turn this three-game win streak into, a, I mean, eight might seem bold. But tough opponents, tough tests, some road games, and can they get it done? We'll talk with the Sabres head coach uh, in a few moments. Recapping what we've gone through today. Talked a little bit about Sean McDermott's comments on uh Bobby Babbage taking over the defensive play calling. Whether or not that happens, they've not decided yet, or, if they, or at least they're not making that public yet. A little bit about receiver craziness now that Adam Rank has a piece up saying that Justin Jefferson should be traded. We've got Matthew Collar coming up next segment to talk about that. And uh, court storming, a big topic around the old sports world, have asked the question, if you have ever stormed the court or a field after a win and then where and when. And about 1,200 votes into the Twitter poll, and 25% have indeed done it. I have. Twice. One football, one basketball. Josh, you said no for you? I've not been given the opportunity, to be honest. I've never been to a a basketball game of that magnitude. So if I was at one and it was like (laughs) everyone was doing it, I would for sure jump in. Lower magnitude games, more of your speed? I just never been to like a D one basketball game. Yeah, so well, it doesn't have to be D one. It's funny. Like a lot of the answers here, you've got some. They they range from some of the responses here. They range from uh, Joe Beamer, B E N, Virginia Tech when they beat UNC in a home opener. Here's one for U B. Scott wrote in with the U B winning their first MAC championship. Stevens at Chattanooga, and some of these go all the way down to high school, and. Programs that maybe you wouldn't know about. Evan wrote in, Marietta College Men's Basketball. The OAC Championship game. Small school, not many bleachers with access to the court. So you've got everything from Texas A&M on one side, MAC Championship, all the way down to, Andy tweeted in a picture from Brockport. Men won the Sunyaks and qualified for the D3 tournament. And sure enough, he's got a picture of people on the court. So it's a big story, of course, in the country because of what happened between Wake Forest and Duke, and you've got conversations about whether or not it will change or it should change. Um, But that that picture of all the way from you know Duke, Wake Forest, Texas A and M, Alabama, all the way down to Brockport—all due respect to Brockport—but you know we're just talking about the different levels, all the way down to high school games that this. This kind of thing does happen. And whether you think it's a true and authentic and organic reflection of the passion for the game, it is something that happens routinely and maybe too routinely. I mentioned earlier this morning, I've got a Jay Billis clip of him saying a month ago that there were too many of these. It happened four times in a week. And, you know, the thing is, there's a lot of games on TV. And the tournament's getting bigger and bigger. You keep letting more teams in, more games are gonna I'm gonna I, I say like have more meaning, but if all of a sudden more teams get in the tournament and I've got conference tournament season around the corner, I've got more juice in all these games, then I've got the potential to get fans, you know, riled up. So if you want to give us a call on that and tell us when you did that, where you did it, eight oh three oh five fifty one 550 as we connect with our fans. Brought to you by Northtown Kia. Shop online at NorthtownKia.com Thomas wrote in over 30 years ago as a student at St. Bonaventure did, in fact, storm the court. So 25% of those voting have and 75% haven't. Then there's the question of who would. Like you said, for the 75% that have not, would you in the right scenario? I want to say that 90% of people would, given the scenario, in the right spot there's different differing scenarios sometimes it's dramatic in last second sometimes it's going to be a slow build i mentioned the one i i did was that they won by 14 points and the game was over about halftime and we're you know making plans to get out there if if in fact people were going to go then there's cases where security will let you do it so it's not exactly like you run over Law enforcement on the way to do it. You could say it's Jay Billis wants people arrested if they do it. A lot of times you are being granted access, like, okay, be safe, you know, do get out there, but take it easy. 803 0550, 1 550 2550. Waiting on Sabres head coach Don Granado for our uh, weekly visit. Additionally, on the Sabres. So the game against Carolina. Anyone else find themselves? I mean, it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday at 6 o'clock, that game. Any, anyone else find themselves strangely into that game? And I think the power goal, man, in, in terms of watching games on television and pop from goals that get scored, that was a big one. It's a really big one. And to watch them play into overtime and then you know, keep rolling through, it was, it was, it felt high stakes. Even though I don't really feel like it was high stakes, it, it felt it. It felt like the team showed up for a crowd that was active and, you know, they've had their struggles at home this season. I know it's been a topic with Don talking about how they could maybe find better success at home. They, they have had the support at home. I've been at a lot of games where it is packed and there's, an opportunity to get the crowd in the game, and it just—it hasn't really happened. So it was nice to see Sunday, and Krebs to see Krebs make that play on the goal to, to, to power it was nice. That's a guy who's seen his role elevated, and maybe there's some more potential there. There's 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 more happening there, but the game it felt, itself just felt like it felt big, and I know it wasn't really. There have been a couple games like that over this long drought. We still find our way to individual game events that kind of bring back what it is, what it's supposed to be about, how it's supposed to feel on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening in February. Meaningful games in March. A couple years ago, this organization targeted meaningful games in March as an actual thing the GM said. And then they lost a bunch in a row and didn't have any. Last year they did. And... Man, last year's finish to the season fueled a full-off season of, I can't wait for this team to come back. And whether it was expectations or hopes that they would be exciting this year, I mean, it it kind of fell flat on the way that they started the year. But it is a reminder to me that that we, like fans, people in the building, people that call that place a morgue or a library, it's never that far away from that being gone. And it just being back and the juice all being back. It's never that far away. A fun game, a good crowd, it'll do it. And having it happen every night, okay, that might take some time to get everybody back every night. But Sunday was, I mean, Sunday was encouraging for me. It was the way they played. It was the style. It was watching from home and hearing the crowd. There have been too many games where you, you don't hear it and, you know, is this conversation about court storming here, it, it, it's not nothing. Being in an event where people are going crazy drives home how intense it is, whether they're running on the court or standing in their seats. And, man, that game Sunday, like, it was, it was water to a thirsty person. For me, I mean, watching a lot of these games, there have been some, there have been a handful, too many, that have just been kind of like, all right, you know, it's uh, here we go. N- this game actually kind of felt like that when they got scored on two minutes in. Here we go again, but it wasn't. It turned into a, a rock-solid affair. 803-0550 to join us. We'll get to Bob in Arkansas. Hey, Bob, good morning.
0: Hey, Jeremy, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you, Bob?
0: I'm doing good, man. Great. Thanks for having me on. So I've been in a few stadiums. I used to travel a bunch of work. I was in East Lansing one time, and I said, what the heck? Evening, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I went down to the campus, uh, went down to the stadium, walked right out onto the field, you know, sort of went in the back door. And then I was in Ann Arbor on the same trip, decided to go to the big house. I just remember walking into the locker room area. There's this huge Charles Woodson, uh, like bobblehead in the back with just stacks of Gatorade. I walked right down the tunnel out to uh, the field, you know, thinking this is where Tom Brady walked down. Then one of the coolest ones is I was in Baton Rouge. And I walked out, uh, sort of went through the back door. Like, I was going in. Coach O jogged by. <laughs> it was summertime, he jogged by, said hello. And then I go in the back door, walked right into the locker room, see Joe Burrow's locker. Then I walk right down to the field. And uh, that place is unbelievable how big it is. Death Valley yeah. at LSU. Um, anyway, it's cool stuff, man. It's just sort of those things you do. And, I don't know, just okey doke, walk through and check it out. But it's amazing to be down on the field. On a separate note, Uh, You can't stop talking about Justin Jefferson. You guys are killing me, man. My hopes hopes get up higher on that one. It's going to kill me because that would be unreal. Anyways, man. hey, thanks for having me on. You guys have a fantastic day.
1: Thanks, Bob. Stay tuned. Next segment, Matthew Collar from Minnesota on any sort of Jefferson stuff. Yeah, I mean, maybe to to your point about, you know, walking on the field there at LSU or the big house or wherever, I went to Clemson, boy, now probably like four years ago, and one thing Clemson football does is everybody goes on the field after every game. It is not storming the court. You just go on the field. It's it's what's done. The team you know, walks, runs down that hill. Right? If you think about college football and some of the different environments, the team runs down that hill, and everybody leaves that way. At least in, like, in the lower bowl. I guess there's some people that pr- presumably go out. But it was very clear... We were sitting down low. Syracuse and Clemson. Clemson beat them, so Clemson fans were happy. It was close, though. Um, and then, you know, first time there, it's like, oh yeah, we, we we go out up, we go out that way. It's just the way that you exit the stadium, walk onto the field, and then walk up the hill, and that's how you leave. So, these these atmospheres, these environments, you know, you, you mentioned Death Valley and LSU. That is my number one where I'd like to get to next, ahead of Michigan. I've been to Penn State. And I don't know, maybe there, maybe there's a nostalgia is probably not the right word for this because college sports, there's a, there's a romanticism tied into them that right or wrong, people are saying now that it's losing with NIL, right? Like I don't really believe that. I think that it's still great and still can be great for a while. The pageantry of college sports was about more traditions and more specific traditions or routines or whatever The buildings are a lot different. The fan bases are different. The names, the colors, the marching bands. This is true of college football and college basketball. And going to a college basketball game is wildly different from going to an NBA game. And that's not because of the players on the court or who's getting paid. It's just because you have a totally different life in the stands of a college game. The band, the student sections, the chants, the cheers, it's just different. And without even saying one's better than the other. The storming of the court, I I, I know. If, if they I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sit here and tell you if they get rid of it somehow, which would be very hard to do given now that I'm seeing pictures that they stormed the court in Brockport. Like, Jay Billis is suggesting they arrest everybody. Everybody everywhere. When they storm at Brockport, you're arresting all those people? I mean, there might have been 50 people on the court. Should they all be arrested? I mean, a lot of work here for Jay Billis and, and company to get everybody, citations. But the point is if they come for it and say it's gone, I'm not about to sit here and say what a mistake they've made. But it's, sure, it's organic, and it's also phony sometimes, and it's also there's too much of it. Okay. I I, I don't know what you're supposed to do about college kids that see other college kids having fun doing a thing, and then your school knocks off Duke. Okay, somebody stormed the court against them last week. I don't care. This is my school this week. I want to go. And I think it's it's a tough spot for ESPN for college, for all of it. ESPN has been in my opinion the number one machine that has pushed the intensity into college sports and that's for the for the greater good altogether. Great good has been done with that. But, you know, Couple of people get hurt in stormings of the court, and I guess that's you know, that's not something you want. I don't think anybody wants that. eight zero three zero five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. I think we're going to uh, reschedule Don Granado maybe for tomorrow. So Granado tomorrow, they're on a uh, road trip in Florida. I was off Friday and Monday, and you know, there's one thing I I regret not getting to before taking a couple days off. It's guessing what the hot dog of the day will be at a Sabres game. The Stormy. It was the Stormy against Carolina, which is named after the Carolina mascot. And had Carolina-style barbecue. And I don't know if you out there have a very strong opinion one way or the other. Barbecue versus Carolina barbecue. I'm here to tell you I like Carolina barbecue a lot. Vinegar-based? Yeah. Would have been a good dog. The Stormy. Who's the next home game? Vegas. Hmm. Vegas. You actually get every bit of a buffet right on your hot dog. The buffet dog. They put every single thing they've put on any dog this year all onto one dog and called it the Vegas buffet. There. There's my guess. Matthew Collar, when we get back, on the latest on Justin Jefferson, this – Pesky little idea that they might trade him instead of paying him. How absurd is that? How real could it be? We'll talk with Matthew coming up on WTR.
4: I'm not trying to change the media. I know it's going to be like this or whenever when I leave, but I just truly just feel like I'm just misunderstood as as a player, as a person. And, And, you know, it gets frustrating. Because anything I say, anything I do, it gets magnified times 10. I'm classified as a diva. I want the ball and this and that, blah, blah, blah. When, honestly, it's the other way around. You see me getting upset on the sideline, and you automatically think it's about targets. No, no. What if, what if I'm holding my players accountable? What if I'm the guy that pushes everybody in the locker room, makes people uncomfortable, to try to better themselves for the team? What if I'm that guy?
1: That is A.J. Brown. Like sands to the hourglass so are the days of our lives of wide receivers having to insist that it's okay that they care about the sport and success. Good morning, Jeremy and Joe. Joe's out today. Joining us on the Western Hotline, former morning show producer, now big man about the Vikings, Matthew Collar. Matthew, good morning.
6: What's up? Yeah, wide receivers, is divas. Uh maybe, you know, you do a few push-ups in your driveway one time <laughs> and uh, you know, they give you the key to the city and this is what they say forever about your entire position. I
1: know. Shame. Matthew, honestly, when will the when will the the NFL collective media have a is it us moment? Are we the ones that's that are doing this because AJ Brown called into a radio station to say like yeah, I care about this stuff. You know? so it's not I'm not just because I'm yelling with Jalen Hurts or whatever, and here's Brandon Ayuk getting criticized for asking, like, Do you want to come back? And he says if the deal is right. Like, of course. Everybody does this except it only seems to stick with the receivers.
6: I, I'm not even kidding when I say this is Chad Ocho Cinco and Terrell Owens' fault. Like when when they were actual divas and they did a lot of crazy stuff. It was like that stuck forever because I I don't remember even growing up and having this with like Tim Brown and Andre Reed and Jerry Rice. Those, uh, it was like somewhere along the line, those guys, you know, changed the way people view the position. Also like TV cameras love a wide receiver. Who's mad on the sideline. They they, they love nothing. They never show a left guard. Who's really upset with the (laughs) center for not getting a, a blocking protection right it's like oh a wide receiver cut to cut to wide receiver cut to wide receiver i mean yeah like those i mean that that was you know stefan Diggs too like stefan Diggs was and and always will be a super fiery competitor to the point where he pushes it too far sometimes and you're always gonna see that from some of these guys who compete but when it's a wide receiver i for some reason they love that more than anything and you know he had that here with Diggs despite being, you know, as as great as a wide receiver as the Vikings have had. And also he was right about the Viking like his complaint was that they weren't throwing the ball enough. They didn't have the right offensive philosophy. And he was like dead ass right. And and, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I feel the same way. There's just no re and they're they look, they're doing this to Justin Jefferson already. Yeah. Like Justin Jefferson negotiates a contract like every NFL player and trade him get him out of here if he's a money grubbing you know wide receiver like what are we what are we doing here the guy's unbelievable so well
1: that's why i wanted to get on yeah that's why i wanted to get you on i I texted you last night i said this on the air i texted you i wanted you to get on for a new segment called that team's not going to do that really dumb thing that people are pretending is smart right which is jefferson is about to play on the fifth year option which is a nineteen million dollar price tag for him and he is most assuredly worth much more than that. And if he wants a contract to ensure that he's paid guaranteed money, then that's totally normal. Like, uh, quarterbacks get paid after year three now. Josh Allen got his big deal after year three. Mahomes, Kyler Murray got a big deal after year three. So here's Jefferson saying, I don't want to go into year five on this and immediately chatter about whether or not they could trade him. So um, they're not going to trade him, right?
6: Uh, I really don't think so. Now, once upon a time, I did say on this very station that uh, the Vikings shouldn't trade Stefan Diggs and would probably never do it and he's too good, and then he ended up as as a Buffalo Bill. So uh, I would not count anything out. But um, Justin Jefferson can't even rent a car yet. That's how young he still is. So if you sign him to a four- or five-year contract, you're still talking about having him through his entire prime and then, you, you know, see where it goes from there. Uh, the way that uh, teams can manipulate the salary cap, manipulate contracts, you know, you're just playing A.J. Brown. Look at A.J. Brown's contract. He set the highest mark for guaranteed money of any wide receiver for fully guaranteed money with $56 million. And uh, his cap hit, I think, didn't get over $20 million until, like, next year. I mean, so he's played, like, the first several years on his deal under $20 million cap hit. And I don't know how many times you have to explain this, uh, like to fans or whatever. And we have over the com to help us understand these things, but the the money ultimately gets spread out. Uh, they they can restructure these deals and things like that to lower salary cap hits. Like it's not that hard to work around a position player, especially if the position player is the best of the best. And I think it's kind of a similar thing to, Nick Bosa last year where, you know, San Francisco was never going to get rid of Nick Bosa, but when you have the best player and everyone knows it's going to be the biggest contract, it does take a while to work that out. Like there's a lot of moving parts. It isn't like your average left guard in free agency where it's like, okay, take it or leave it. I mean, he has a lot of power in this negotiation and then you have the salary cap going up more than people expected as well. So the number is probably going to shock people, but I can't come up with any trade that makes sense unless Josh Allen is available. Is he available? Because I would do that. I would I would trade Justin Jefferson for Josh Allen. But unless it's a quarterback, it, the whole thing is like wide receivers around the NFL who are truly great are making their quarterbacks better. I mean, I, I like Brock Purdy, but Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle make that guy a success. That's what you want. You you don't want to have Josh Allen where it's like. Uh, he has to do everything himself. You want to have receivers so good that your quarterback can't fail. So at that combined with his popularity, his personality, he's been as great of a superstar as you're ever going to find. I just can't see this ownership, this front office saying, okay, let's just trade him for draft picks and yeah. pray to God.
1: It seems like a good way to end up looking really stupid, to trade a guy oh, that's, yeah. th- that's this good. Matthew, looking back on – on this last run with the Vikings. They're about to switch at quarterback, right? Kirk Cousins is a UFA, and he'll sign somewhere. No, no thought about Cousins coming back?
6: Oh, uh, there's a lot of thought about Cousins coming back, just not for me. Uh, I think it would be an absolutely insane thing to do. Um, you know, people love that Einstein quote about the definition of insanity, but it really would be that kind of situation where they've done this for six years, They have one road playoff win. So Baker Mayfield as a Tampa Bay buck has more home playoff wins than Kirk cousins as a Minnesota Viking. They've paid him $200 million and he's been fine. He hasn't been bad. He's just been fine, which is not good enough. It's Mahomes and, and Allen. These are the guys who win or teams who have amazing top to bottom rosters. And right now, the Vikings have nothing of the sort. I mean, they need like nine starters right now just just to make a starting lineup, not even a complete roster. They, they have so many free agents, and Kirk Cousins is 36 and coming off of a severe injury. No matter how much he and Aaron Rodgers want to pretend that Achilles are just fine, they're not. It's really hard to come back from that, so I think it would be a tremendously bad bet, but... Kirk Cousins has this weird stranglehold on people where they fear someone worse than Kirk Cousins. <laughs> he sets this bar where it's like, well, he's the 12th best quarterback in the league, and if we do X, Y, and Z, we can probably win with him. And you actually can, unless you have the Eagles roster, the 49ers roster, uh, even. I mean, gosh, look at Dallas's rosters recently with a good quarterback who's not unbelievable, and they still don't get over the hump. So, uh, but coaches are afraid to get rid of him because they think, oh, a rookie is not going to be as good as him. And it's I, if you draft the wrong guy, we know what happens. Everybody gets fired. Um, so there's this kind of fear factor that Kirk Cousins always holds over this franchise, and they keep going back to him despite the fact that it never gets them anywhere.
1: So if they decide not to go that direction, Matthew, speaking with Matthew Collar of uh, Purple Insider, covers the Vikings, former morning show producer, if they decide not to go that round, is this – is this like one of those years we were just begging the bills to take a quarterback in the draft? And that that's the big question for the Vikings. Will they do it?
6: Yeah. I mean, if they move on from him, they don't have much other choice. Uh, when you look at the other options, I would be fine with Baker Mayfield for a couple of years, if that's what they were going to do and develop a quarterback or something. Uh, but I mean like one year to get him develop a, a draft pick, but, you can't go with Jimmy Garoppolo or something and then hope that that's going to work. The argument that the general manager and coach Kevin O'Connell would have to make to uh, the ownership who will refuses to be bad. Like they are the worst ownership for me to cover because they absolutely refuse to ever fully rebuild slash tank Ever, Uh, so this is this is a problem, right? Because there's kind of a mandate that they have to be trying to compete for the playoffs all the time, which makes it difficult. So then you're kind of looking at like, all right, where's the bridge quarterback that can keep you competitive, and then draft a guy, and then hopefully you can make that transition. It's a really hard thing to do, and it usually doesn't work. Um, But they have to be looking at these quarterbacks, and so there's a wide range of options of. You know, do you trade three first-round picks to try to go up and get Drake May if he's available, or Jaden Daniels, or do you, you know, just wait until number 11 and see if McCarthy or Bo Nix is there, or do you trade back into the first to get the guy who drops? Like, there's lots of different ways that they could go about it, and I've done draft simulations on PFF's website of all of them so far, and uh, I like all the options better than uh, bringing back Kirk Cousins because I think this quarterback class is legitimately good.
1: What does Jefferson want to do there? Like, Does he have a good relationship with Cousins where he would champion him or do you think he'd be ready, whatever, let's let's go wherever we got to go?
6: It's a little bit of a mystery because he always says great things about Kirk Cousins, as he should. It's been his quarterback and he's set all of these records, and I think what – uh, I mean, Jefferson, while playing with Cousins. And I think that the team and players have a great amount of respect for Kirk Cousins. It's hard to be this good for this long, and it's hard to understand the complexities of Kevin O'Connell's offense, and he's super accurate. He's really good at throwing the football. And so if you're a wide receiver, you're like, well, he reads the defense well, he gets me the football, I put up my numbers, I set my records, and Jefferson's going to get this huge contract in part because he had a very accurate and good quarterback. Jefferson also played with Joe Burrow in college, and he knows. He knows. And sometimes sometimes uh, when he's doing interviews, hosts will kind of bait him into something about Kirk. Like they asked him last year to rank his top five quarterbacks, and he didn't rank Kirk because he's just kind of an earnest kid who doesn't think that the Internet will explode after that. Uh, but I think he realizes that there is a missing playmaking, athleticism, running element, to Kirk, and and more than anything, I think Justin Jefferson wants to win. He and Kirk Cousins together, again, zero playoff wins. The best receiver on earth, zero playoff wins, in part because his quarterback has been not good enough and too expensive to build a great roster. And I think Jefferson is aware of that, but it's going to be pretty unhappy if they get him a rookie who who fails, right? So, you you know, it's like if you try to play it, it's like my golf game. If you try to play it safe, you can still hit it in the woods. Uh, so you might as well just grip it and rip it is the way I look at it. But no one really truly knows how Justin Jefferson feels about this. But I think that he would much prefer somebody who can make plays and also somebody that they can actually compete for a Super Bowl with by building a complete team, which they've never been able to do around Cousins' uh, salary
0: cap hit.
1: Matthew Collar covers the Vikings of Purple Insider formerly of WGR, also an author, author of Football is a Numbers Game. Your book, uh, a, little, a little spotlight shined on it because it's about the growth, the history, the story of uh, pro football focus, which it seems like you know football players want to seem to yell about every three or four days.
6: Yeah, it's helpful because uh, every time they do that, then I could tweet out, hey, if you want to know the entire story about PFF. Uh, also, I was at Radio Row doing book promotion, and every – Host wanted me to um, like explain Dan Campbell going for it on fourth down. I was like, <laughs> I, I don't think that's really what I did here in the book, but uh, sure, yeah, it was a fifty-fifty play, and he went for it. But um, yeah, it's been a really interesting thing to see because not only do players like JJ Watt occasionally rail against it, which is helpful, you know, but also uh, Zach Robinson, who worked for PFF, just got hired as the Atlanta Falcons' offensive coordinator. So uh, that was it was quite a Quite a nice, nice thing to see for the book, um, but yeah, was, yeah, I think that people only know the grades and the Twitter, and the, that does not tell the story at all of what PFF is actually doing behind the scenes for teams. But you got to find the book to, you know, find out.
1: Yeah, very good. Football is a numbers game by one Matthew. Collier. You got another book coming out. You've done two books. You had a Vikings book too, on the Minnesota Miracle. So there's got to be another book coming. Once, if there's anything I know, Matthew, it's that once you write a book, you don't stop.
0: Yeah,
6: yeah, no, you're right. I haven't decided though because it's such a long process from start to finish. So it, I think I started in September 2021, and we're still, you know, doing the book promotion part of it. And I haven't decided. I gotta have a good idea, yeah. but I don't have a good idea right now.
1: All right, if I come up with one, I'll let you know.
6: Okay, I'll I'll do uh, all the wide right field goals <laughs> in Buffalo.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We don't even have. To, I mean, I, I maybe I'm speaking for myself here. I didn't even think about that kick from Bass. Other things happen in that game that are troubling, and you know, there's 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 more context. Anyway, thank you, sir.
6: <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for having me. We'll see you.
1: Yeah. When the when when the Vikings trade Just, Justin Jefferson to the Bills, we'll call and we'll talk <laughs> I'll again.
6: Be back. I'll, I hope not.
1: All right. Ma- Matthew Collar, uh Vikings reporter, cover. He covers the Vikings. Purple Insider does a great job in that book. Football's a numbers game. I ordered a copy. Got my copy. Been going through that. That's a good time. It's super interesting. It's all about the stuff that you don't know about your football teams. And that's, you know, they love to downplay what they do, but they are a lot of them deep into a lot of stuff, analytics, all that. Like he said, goes far beyond all the other stuff. 803 one eight 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 550 Uh Yeah, you can give us a call. Don Granado push to tomorrow. It's a Sabres game night. We've got Sabres and Panthers coming up this evening. Jeremy and Joe, Joe out today. So it's just me, Josh Schmidt here as well. Got the stat of the day when we return. And uh, some instant trivia next hour as well. Be caller five to win a pair of tickets. Two two one four WGR is the number to call. Two two one four WGR. Caller five wins pair tickets to see Jelly Roll at KeyBank Center on October sixth. Tickets go on sale March first at ten a.m. at Ticketmaster.com. Tickets courtesy of Live Nation. October sixth. Check the calendar. Will the Sabers have a game the next night? I mean, that's about the weekend. See, October sixth is a Sunday. Okay, so I bet the the Sabres are home like on the 10th, that neighborhood. So right before hockey season, that one. Good morning. Jeremy and uh, Josh is here. Joe's out today. I was looking up I'm trying to do a little bit of math here just to give a little bit of context. So Josh has been saying in the updates that Shaq Barrett was cut by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're in a cap crunch, and they've got to make decisions as well. And Shaq Barrett has been cut or is expected to be a, a post-June 1 cut. And looking at the numbers of that, I'm trying to get an idea of... Don't don't shoot the messenger here. That against Diggs. Like what Diggs would cost on what check Barrett cost. And the reason I'm getting to that is we have to accept and slash expect that everything gets bigger. And by that I mean... We know the cap is up, had a huge jump in the cap. Okay, what does that mean? Salaries go up. Salaries are tied to the cap. Period. The cap goes up, money to be spent on players goes up. And that means the salary at the quarterback position goes up and the franchise tag goes up for the receivers and you know, all the rising tide. That's what this is. All, everybody's money's going to go up. One other thing that is worth noting in terms of what will go up is what teams will be willing to eat if you have a one hundred million dollar salary cap, you might not be willing to eat a twelve million dollar dead hit. But by the time you get to three hundred million dollars, all of a sudden twelve as a dead cap, which looked big back when your your salary cap was a hundred, now that's fine. So the dead cap numbers will also climb as everything else does. And on Shaq Barrett, I mean he's a guy that will definitely get a job somewhere else. I mean, he's a player and Tampa's making decisions here, right? Baker Mayfield's going to leave. I mean, every one of these moves with a Tampa player leaving that starts to spell rebuild or retool tells me that what we're looking at here is Mike Evans becomes more likely to move. Is that fair? I've got all the other pieces going away is Mike Evans want to stay for a team that's going to go backwards? The bucks here's the number from Jason that over the cap. The bucks have to account for twenty six million in dead money for Barrett twenty six. Diggs number's not that high off of that, so they split it to two years. He counts for fourteen on the cap until June one and then nine on the cap on June second and there's seventeen million in dead money next year for the bucks for Diggs. It'd be 8 million dead this year and 22 next year. Here's, again, look at the numbers. 17 dead for the Bucks, 22 dead for the Bills. They're not exactly lined up, but bigger penalties will be accepted as money goes up. Of course, I think the idea of cutting Stephon Diggs is one of the worst ideas that we are currently routinely, I don't even know about discussing, but it comes up here and there. But I wanted to know for that, the, the just the context, because I've seen and plugged all the numbers in on Diggs, and the Shaq Barrett number is not a small number 26 million plus split over two years. 8030550, 1 2550. In terms of uh, court storming, Josh, I'm telling you, you don't have to go to a big place because. Where did I just get one here? Bill wrote in. Stormed the court at a Hamburg volleyball game when they beat Orchard Park in 2005. Just saying. I think we just need a court at this point. Like, <laughs> like whatever sport is taking place in a gymnasium can be stormed, I think. Because we've gotten volleyball. We've gotten that guy with the track and field story where he ducked out of the indoor track and field into the big house. Like yep, That was yep. pretty cool. So I feel like we just need a court. Yeah. 8030550 to join us. One eight 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 five fifty two five fifty on the, the the Barrett cut also post June one post June one means you can't use the cap like you you still get the full cap charge because he counts up until June first so you you can't use that money it, it is savings past June first but you know free agency happens long before then eight zero three zero five fifty your stat of the day I owe, I owe you a stat of the day I'll get that right on the other side. Some really wild numbers on kickoffs and how that will be changed, how they're going to want to change that. Troy Vincent already uh, leading the charge, talking about how they, they can't have it be how it has been. Some numbers on kickoffs are wild. Get you some of those here on WGR.
5: I hate them All of them bro When it comes to sports Right There's people that play the sport Because they love the sport And then there's people That play the sport Just to try to be cool I feel like they Play the sport To try to be cool Like those are a bunch of dudes That just want to Take pictures On Instagram (laughs) Like that's whack Like I play this Because I'll die by it Clemens
3: Look I'm gonna tell you Exactly what happened Maybe it's third quarter Maybe it's fourth Our backs are to our tunnel TV timeout Clemens is Talking to us Really talking at 17 And first of all Why are you talking To my quarterback? Don't talk to my quarterback. Stay over there. Don't say nothing to none of my guys. Don't talk to 17. I'm really serious about that. Don't talk to him. Don't say nothing to him at all, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to defend him by any means.
1: Deion Dawkins, shirtless interview. I feel like he's shirtless in a lot of interviews. He is. He went to the ESPYs shirtless. He wore a blazer, like a jacket, over with nothing else. He can do what he wants. That's the snowman, as he's known. Talking about Jets defensive players, how much he hates the Jets. Michael Clemens was the number one guy. He said, and Williams, he's fine with, plenty of respect. But uh, it was Clemens that uh, he really doesn't like. All right. He's allowed. I do wonder if that's the kind of thing where afterwards the Bills call me like, Hey, isn't that bulletin board material? Although, it's not often talked about as bulletin board material. If a, this kind of gets our conversation with Matthew, if a wide receiver says that, it's like, wow, look at this guy. Here's an offensive tackle saying, it, and like hey, be you, big guy. Do your thing. Rivalries in the trenches, Dawkins and Michael Clemens. I'm sure when uh, the Jets and Bills, by the way, perfect opener next year, perfect opener, Jets at Bills. Run it back. Aaron Rodgers gets his second crack at the Bills, except it's got to be here. We're not doing it at his stadium again. That is if he makes it to the season and you know, can play, which I'm sure he's planning on doing. Jeremy White with you. Joe's out today. You can give us a call, 803-0550. We talked a lot today, actually, about court storming, and no one is called to say it's got to go. No one's called to, to, to wag your finger at the college students to do it, and I'm not saying that I expected that. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Uh, is is it a universal kind of yeah? It's cool. It's a shame that people get hurt, and sometimes it's done too much. But I, I don't know. I don't know if I if I expected anybody to call and say it's got to go. But the number of people relaying the stories of when they did it, and it was okay, nobody got hurt. I, I think there are fine points all around it. It's just it does not seem that there's a outcry like there is from I, I keep saying Jay Billis, who I respect greatly. I think Jay Billis is you know money, one of the best college basketball voices out there and measured quite a bit. He was way ahead of the NIL craze here, he's talking about paying players long, long ago. And he's one that says fans should never be on the court. It should never happen. And, of course, the Duke player uh, got hurt, and here we are. You know, we've we've had a couple of scares, one with Caitlin Clark, now the one with the uh, the Duke player, Filipowski. So it's kind of been a bit of a topic. We've talked about it a little bit today. Taking stories of uh when you had a chance to get on the court if or the field if you ever stormed a court, stormed a field. And uh we'll continue to take those calls and stories if you'd like at eight oh three O five fifty and one eight 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 five fifty-two five fifty. It is restructure season and it is cuts, right? Like un. Unexpected cuts, some some to be exe- expected, some to not be expected. I find it interesting, you know, you've got your, your sites, SpotTrack and OverTheCap.com, and they're the two websites that, if you're dealing with salary cap stuff, one that OverTheCap has that I did not realize until right now is they have contract value for guys that are under contract, not market value. A lot of times we'll bring up SpotTrack and talk about how, hey, SpotTrack puts market value for Gabe Davis at And then, you know, there's the number. I'll actually get it for you to make this point here. And it's based on other guys, comps, who signed what. Like Gabe's market value, according to Track is about 13.6. Now, market value and then just actual what your contract value is worth if you're someone that's under contract might be different, right? But at Track, market value is pretty cool. At Over the Cap... I've never seen this before. I'm sorry, I've been over the cap plenty of times. The valuation, which is how much this player is worth, for guys that are under contract, I, I like that quite a bit. And I immediately went to see, like, all right, well, what's what's Diggs? Well, about 17 million for Diggs. Davis is about 12 on contract valuation. So, so it's not just you know market value, but what they are on a team. And with Diggs, you know. We'll get into this plenty more with the offseason and with, with the receivers. There's video of him. He was out at uh, a U.S. soccer team event, chicken hands with Christian Pulisic. But it's been relatively quiet. And other receivers dealing the spotlight has been nice, whether it's A.J. Brown or Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayoub, C.D. Lamb's family coming for the Cowboys management, all of it. Like, it is kind of funny. So it's been quiet, and a lot of times we, we fill the silence with wide receiver drama as they endlessly get asked if they like the team that they're on. More to come. eight o three oh five fifty and one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty to join us. Sabres game night We've got uh, Sabres and Panthers tonight. Carry that game for you here. Sabres and Lightning. And again, Don Granada moved to tomorrow. Usually we talk to Don today on Tuesdays. We move him to tomorrow, so we'll get a little bit of a post-game on Sabres and Panthers. To the Western hotline we go. Maybe a little court storming. A little check-in on some Syracuse stuff as well. Brent Axe joins us, friend of the show. Brent, good morning. I've, I've, I've done a little more on court storming than I thought I would today, but it seems to be a national uh, issue. And, you know, with the injury... So, Kyle it, it it's in the spotlight. I wonder what, what you feel about it from a, you the know, standpoint of someone that's been around an awful lot of, I'd imagine, stormed courts.
3: I was just in one uh, two weeks ago in Syracuse, North Carolina, the dome, and I had to turn around to the Syracuse student section and plead with them to not run me over on their way to the court and uh, show them the stairwells on which they could exit in a graceful manner and line up to storm of the court. Look, he had two of the biggest names in basketball, Caitlin Clark, and now Kyle Filipowski, get swept up in this. You can't face right? Like, me a college kid that's going to get ready to storm the court and someone's going to tap him on the shoulder and be like, bro, can't do that. NCAA fans are like, ah, damn it, we can't do that now, right? So what I think you have to do is implement a policy that either the coach or an official calls a timeout, grabs a microphone, and says, guys, listen, you know you want to do this. Let the other team get off the court and then go nuts. I believe there was a one-minute pause rule that was out there proposed. Like, I think that's the best solution because not every school has the resources to bring in extra security, and even if they do, Jeremy, like, I know some ushers at the Dome. They're nice people, but they're not stopping a 19-year-old kid rushing the court if he wants to, right? But yep. so I think common sense has to come into play here. Tell the kids, like, guys, we get it. Just let the other team get out of here, and then be safe and have fun. And then I think that's
1: all you can do. Brent X joining us. You know, Brent, when it comes to – you're talking about finding ways to live with it because – it should not go away. I mean, there are some that would say it's got to go. The fans never belong in the court, but I don't think there's any denying that you know it, it, it has been right or wrong part of the college atmosphere. It does not really happen in the pros routinely, and yet in college you're going to get that kind of thing because David's going to beat Goliath more routinely, or at least it's going to mean more. So, is it for you about dealing with it and not eliminating it? 100%.
3: That and it goes back to that game a couple of weeks ago because the, the argument that I was having with Syracuse fans was you had a lot of old school fans. Like, hey, man, we didn't rush the court against the seventh grade team in the country. And it's like you got to realize that this generation of Syracuse basketball fans, have not seen in terms of the kids actually attending the university, have not seen a top ten team lose Syracuse in five years that's their moment. It may not be the moment you had, but if Washington hit the half-court shot or Syracuse fans stormed the court three times in 03 when they beat Pittsburgh or I can go through some of the others history, but it's their moment that they want to experience and be a part of. I think you do have to live with it for, for that exact moment and it's different now because everybody's got their phones up and they're recording it you know, Jeremy, you and I would have done the same thing. We had a phone back in the day that could the moment, So I, I think people need to yeah stop with that but that. But I'm, I'm with, let's live with it. Let's figure out a smart and safe way to do it and go with that. Because it's not going away. You can't ban something. We just can't. It's just unreasonable.
1: Brent Nax, columnist, Syracuse.com, also the Syracuse Sports Pod. All right, Brent, so you said you were there for a court storming a couple of weeks ago. Syracuse beats North Carolina. It's funny, as a Syracuse alum who has watched a lot of Syracuse basketball over the years, I, I said to friends the other day, I'm like, their record is not that much different than it ever is. However, the fact that they scored 55 points in a single half of basketball is something I don't know that I'd seen in 15 years. So uh, Adrian Autry definitely has things going differently.
3: That was the game after Jeremy they had scored 60 points total against Georgia Tech. It took a long time for this team to kind of figure it out, but they're a team that, you know, look, he switched to man to man defense. I'm glad that he did. I'm glad it's part of the repertoire now, and it's pretty much what they do. But given the injuries they've had, given the dismissals they've had, they just don't go deep enough in that 8-9, man rotation to play man-to-man effectively. So the state lives and on its offensive game. You look at, you know, they've won three in the last four. They've scored 85 points or more in all three of those games. The Miami game they won at the Dulls, that's a last-second three-pointer that they won. When they hold the ball, they are a different basketball team. What happens is you just have too many players on this team. Cuban Mints, Wadier-Copeland get this a little bit the last game. he still won it, but he kind of got a little bit of They just get into this iso-ball routine It feel like they've got to be the guy that takes so, so, they're very talented offensively. Chris Bell has really emerged in the last six or seven games. He was kind of defeated as a stand-in-the-corner, catch-and-shoot-three guy, but now he's sitting everywhere. And, and Jeremy, that corresponds with the dismissal of Benny Williams. You know, that has really opened up you know, Chris Bell, I think, just feels like he has more freedom to get the ball shoot everywhere around It's just frustrating because you got six sophomores out there, and as much as Audrey tells them to do this, the guys, when you move the ball, they you bust your ass on defense. Good things happen. But look at the other night against Notre Dame. They're up 49-20 to with a minute to go until halftime, and all of a sudden, Notre Dame goes on a 10-0 run into the half that carries over into the second half. So it's February, what, 26th, and this team has not grown up yet. So everybody's wondering, can they make a run at the tournament? Uh, maybe, but, but they're kind of in this all-or-nothing approach to do it and that they just have to flat-out outscore everybody they play because they don't make enough stops on defense. They're really good at getting steals and transition and forcing teams into turnovers. But you can't play forty minutes of defense definitely. So it's just kind of all or nothing. Go out there and see if you can drop ninety on
1: everybody. Brent X column Syracuse uh, sports when we talk about Syracuse Sports Podcast, I should say, in Syracuse.com, when we talk about uh, the football team, Brent, just final thought here, have seen a number of big names and big commits. You know, the uh, the, the coach is, is making a buzz. The question, the million-dollar question is, how is he going to be as a coach outside of a recruiter? But I would imagine that in Syracuse, the football team's got a bit of a buzz. Uh,
3: I've never seen this much buzz in late February for Syracuse football in my entire life. The big difference, Jeremy, is Fran Brown, who normally a coach comes in, it says, and we've seen it with the Buffalo Bills, it says, here's what I want to do. Fran Brown came in and told John Wildman, here is what I will do. Here are the players I can get. Here are the coaches I can get and the recruiting ground that they cover. And look, if you're going to turn this thing around, you've got to have talent. Syracuse has a big mix of incoming recruits and the transfer portal. But you said it. Can the guy coach? Well, I know Jeff Nixon, the offensive coordinator, can coach because he ran a Baylor offense that scored a million points and went to the Big 12 championship game a few years ago. Elijah Robinson was the co-defensive coordinator at Texas A&M last year. He's still coming up as a play caller, but had one of the best defensive lines in the country and has brought in some of those players to the Syracuse. There are other coaches on the staff that have experience. And look, Frank Brown has to prove he can do it, Jeremy. And to hear Kirby Smart talk about how Frank Brown was at his side kind got to like, you know, a Miyagi-LaRusso relationship. Just doing everything he could to learn about being a head coach. We've got to see it pan out here. But it feels like Fran Brown got the best possible education he could to do this. We know he can recruit. Now we've got to see if he can call plays and game day things. Because this is all great, Jeremy. But Dino Baber's biggest weakness, this was the guy that had two prior head coaching stints. Was game day coaching. That's what needs to be fixed here. And Brad Brown looks like he's got the talent to do it. He's certainly got the schedule to do it. Zurich is really lumped out with the schedule next year. But we'll all see you on
1: game day. That's, that's the big yeah. question. Brent X joining us. Brent, before we let you go, finally, are you on the wide receiver train?
3: <laughs> all
0: right. Good.
3: Let's go. I'm in. Yeah. Man, i Your tweets feed me, Jeremy. I couldn't be more in on this. I don't know if they can get him. Bean's going to have to build a deal, but my dream guy would be Keon Coleman somehow, some way. I think he would, we'd make beautiful music with him in this offense, Josh Allen, but there's a lot of great receivers in this draft, and let's go, baby. I'm in. All
1: right. Thanks, Brent.
3: Great to hear from you guys. It's always great to be on
1: the Mighty WGR. Have a great day. Thanks, Brent. Brent Axe, Syracuse.com, Syracuse Sports Pod. Keon Coleman, guy would have played against Syracuse in the ACC with Florida State. He, I'm, I'm so eager to see how he eventually falls. I saw a tweet from Todd McShay about the receiver class. And what he said was, he, he said a couple things as impressions from Indianapolis. Now, it's the combine, of course. Draft season is a big, big event. They're going to be risers and fallers. They're going to be guys that test well. Guys that kind of flunk. Somebody's going to sh- show up overweight. Somebody's going to be taller than people think he is. Somebody's going to be shorter hand size. Last year, what? Was this last year. Kenny, how long has Kenny Pickett been? Two years ago. Kenny Pickett hand size two years ago. How big is his hand? You know, it's, it's combine season. We're going to talk about how big guys' hands are. Anyway, Todd McShay. He wrote something about an impression from the Combine being that the wide receiver group, not that this doesn't say anything to how good or bad it is, but it's the most polarizing group after Marvin Harrison Jr. The majority have Neighbors 2 and a Dunze 3, but some are not as sold. And that there's lots of love for Xavier Worthy, Ricky Pearsall, Xavier Leggett, Lad McConkey, Roman Wilson, and Javon Baker. And it's interesting because... You know, on the wide receiver train, choo-choo, there are going to be teams that have vastly different opinions. Someone's going to think Keon Coleman is amazing. Someone's going to think he doesn't separate and he's not worth it. And, you know, what are the Bills likely to do? We know the Bills are likely to go for RAS, Relative Athletic Score. What the Bills do in the draft is they consistently take athletes. So, when you look at RAS scores, here's a good example. Kent Lee Platt had this um, uh, earlier last week. Pro Football Network 365 Mock Draft Simulator Curator. Okay, Sorry, there's a lot of numbers coming at you, but trust me on this. Here's what I mean. So in the 2020, uh, 2020 draft class, these are these are on a scale from 1 to 10, or I guess 0 to 10. How athletic is your class from 0 to 10? In 2020, I'll eliminate decimal numbers. I'll just give you the first first digit, okay? The Bills' draft class, their athletic scores on a scale of 1 to 10 were 4, 2, 6, 1, 7, and 4. Isaiah Hodgins was a 7. Gabe Davis was a 6.8. The next year, the Bills' numbers were 7, 9, 10, 9, 5, 6, 7, 8. Spencer Brown being the 10. might remember that about him. The next year... 8888984 and 9. Luke Tenuta was the 4. And then last year, Dalton Kincaid I guess didn't have a, a RAS. 68787. Eight, seven. The point is if you're like an 8 and above, that's a green light. And in 2020, the bills drafted no greens and two yellows. The next year, it was four greens, four yellows. The next year, it was seven greens like they go for athletes. So one thing to keep in mind when looking at the receiver class is to look at the relative athletic score. They it, it covers positions for the Bills regardless. They want they want athletes. And that's a lot of different things that they measure. And of course, receivers are going to have higher numbers than some other position groups, but keep an eye on it. The RAS, that score is important to the Bills and has been for several years. 8030550 1 888 550 2550. Jeremy and Joe, Joe out today. You can uh, give us a call on really anything we've talked about here on WGR. All right, it's time for the stat of the day. Stat of the day is brought to you by Seneca Gaming and Irving, home of the biggest bingo payouts and slot machines with thousands won daily. Had a few nominees for the stat of the day, but I liked Warren Sharp's. Stats on kickoffs, and it's going to be something to watch as the league and competition committees, like Sean McDermott on the competition committee, he'll be tasked with giving thoughts on this. Everything about the kickoff is dead. Just about everything. Last season, touchback rate, 73%, highest in history. How many kickoff returns for touchdowns? Four. That's the fewest since 2000. How many onside kicks? 41. The fewest since 2000. So, the league is going to be open-minded. Judy Batista tweeted about that. Competition committee resumes meetings. Chair Rich McKay would not commit to a change definitely happening. He said the league has been open-minded about changing the kickoff in order to keep those plays in the game. So, your stat of the day is no more returns, no more onside kicks. I mean, they really neutered the onside kick a long time ago. Would love to see them go for the 4th and 15 operation, the uh, Greg Schiano rutgers kind of rule. I would support that. But it does introduce the penalty, which I think is a great counterpoint. If you don't know what that suggestion is, it is instead of an onside kick, you go for a 4th and 15 from your own 20-yard line. And if you get it, you can keep the ball. Problem is, ticky tack foul on a defensive holding, and all of a sudden that's all it took to get the ball and an additional possession. And that'd be tough. But onside kicks go back to the old format. It used to be that you got an onside kick in the neighborhood of, I don't know, one out of every five, maybe a little less than that, and it dropped way, way down. You just never see onside kicks recovered. It's so rare. It, it requires a massive mistake as opposed to, you know, a little bit of the art of kicking it and getting a bounce. Just so tough to expect. So I'm not sure if they're going to make a change there, but uh, there's there's momentum to maybe make some changes with parts of the kicking game. Eight o three o five fifty. the Combine underway from Indianapolis. We'll have guests throughout the week. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to check in with uh, – Derek Klassen, he charts all the quarterbacks, doing a lot of quarterback workups for ReceptionPerception.com. He'll join us tomorrow. Marty Barron's going to join us tomorrow We'll talk little Sabres. The Sabres here, you know, what can they do? What they can do, what what can they really accomplish here on the stretch run? These last 24 games. If they were to finish, boy, I mean, I saw there's a chart out there, how many points they need. Chad D. Diminis has this, and this is the way that we should be charting this. 34 points. So tonight there are two, Thursday there are two. They need 34 points. There are 48 available. So if you want to, it's not a magic number because it's not exactly locked in that 92 points is the final playoff spot, but it is the projected cut line. Let's like let's do it that way. You're a golfer on the course, your projected cut is 92. Under 92, you're going home. Over 92, you're getting in. And there's a lot of teams that are alive if we're counting the Sabres as alive. That's a big part of this. But that said, 34 and 14 points, not wins, losses, points. 34 and 14. Find a way to get points every night, see what you can do. And if you were to give me the final standings at the end of this year, and they miss and the drought continues, but they're what? Four points out of it. Their goal differential recovers. I mean, their goal differential, if you did just goal differential, this is kind of, I don't know if it's funny or torturous or what you might think about it, but if you went just goal differential, the Sabres are in ninth in the East. They're right on the outside. What does that do for you? I don't know. Maybe not much. <laughs> it does indicate who's a good team and a bad team, and it usually lines up with the good teams and the bad teams. They're a minus six. Could they climb up a bit? How about if they passed Tampa and missed? How about that? There is a big gap, by the way, between eighth and ninth right now. Eighth is Tampa with 69. Ninth is Washington with 63. They do have games in hand. But that's a sizable gap in terms of if you were to bet the playoff field. It looks like this division will get five teams. If Tampa makes it, And Detroit makes it. That's five. To finish sixth in a division with five teams going. Right right now they're in sixth. So I'm not sure if getting that much closer would feel good. Top five things that could make me feel better about the Sabres going forward into next year. Number one. Tage dangling all over people's faces. Number two. Peyton Krebs continuing to do what he's done in these last couple games. Number three. I don't know. <laughs> Paterka getting to 30. Number four, Lukanen continuing this stretch right to the end of the season. He's really renewed a lot of hope that you've had in goal. And number five, is that four or five? Five. Uh, the power play. I mean, that might be part of Tage. But if they get to the offseason and they miss, which it looks like they will. Their playoff chances are like 1%. But if they miss... And they must miss, and it's a little more attractive down the stretch. I still think that there will be enough of a call to do more from the GM. The, the you know, it's funny. I don't know how to take what the Sabers meant by something they said in that pre- that release to season ticket holders. So the Sabers, if you don't, have, if you're not season ticket holders, sent out a letter to season ticket holders, and in it they had a very important line to the season ticket holders that I think is an important line for any sports team to know. The question is, how do they mean it? And what I mean by that is, it said that success is rarely linear. And that is a good a good approach to have for any team, whether you're good or you're bad, that it's rarely linear. In this case, the Sabres... We're using it in that press release to point out, like, hey, just because there's a fall back doesn't mean that we're going to continue to fall back. And that is correct, that success is not just a straight line up or a straight line down. So there's a little bit of a we still trust our process right here. Our core remains good. We're committed to great young players, and we've got assets to play with. In the, in the letter, though, was also like it's this is not good enough. And that's an important message for Kevin Adams to take into the offseason. That they can simultaneously feel like, with a strong finish, like, okay, the season was not as bad as it looked at certain times. We don't feel the need to blow it up. But we must act because what just happened is not good enough. And all these other teams are going to try to get better, too. I mean, if Detroit makes the playoffs, aren't they going to try and build on that? And continue to succeed. And if Tampa makes it in a year like this, like Tampa might be old, but okay. All these teams are going to continue to try to get better. The question is how aggressively will the Sabres seek to, I mean, I'm going to say press fast forward, but only because they need to catch up to everybody else. The Sabres are like the team that's watching on a 10 minute delay. You've got to get the fast forward to get where you're supposed to be. This last off season was a slow play. And this next one has to be, I think more pointed, more clearly we're going in this direction. I mean, Kevin Adams before this season said their Stanley Cup window opens. And that means if they miss the playoffs this year because whatever, the power play was a mess, well, then that's one thing you've got to figure out. And if you want to get rid of some of your older players and get younger and play with more energy and more speed, okay, time to do that. But next year, I mean, we say playoffs are bust all the time. Next year, you can't even put enough on it on how much they would have to make it to stick with things the way they are. Derek in D.C. Hey, Derek, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you?
7: I'm good. Hey, just want to talk about the Bills. Uh, last season, you know, I've, I grew up in Buffalo, moved to on uh, live, live radio. So uh, I moved down here because there are no jobs or anything, but I watch the Bills all the time. Uh, Ed Oliver is an awesome guy. He's my guy. I just want to talk about contracts. Why is it, does it seem that players come to Buffalo to get paid? And not play. I mean, I just think the contracts need to be structured different, as far as more incentive base versus salary up front.
1: Well, I mean, who's done that?
7: All right. Well, let's say, like, say something for Diggs. I mean, our cap space is eaten up by like four players. Well,
1: no, yeah, I five, mean, Allen. but but who's come you know, here and who's come here and signed a contract and not put up? Not I mean, Diggs definitely did. Diggs is the best receiver. He's arguably the consistent. best receiver in franchise history. I get that
7: I get that, but you gotta be consistent when you're needed. Right? He has been, he's
1: been very he has been very is there anybody else?
7: Look at the trade logo. Okay, so go back to the trade with Diggs. So we we could have drafted just Justin Jefferson, correct? Instead it, we decided to trade for Diggs.
1: Yes, they traded for Diggs months that trade? months before the that?
7: draft. Do you think we won that trade?
1: Yeah, sure. I think it went great. I think you got the best best receiver in the franchise's history.
7: Okay, he's setting Buffalo records. I agree with that.
1: I mean, he he, he 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 did win a receiving title as a member of the Buffalo Bills. And he and Josh Allen have more of insert every receiving statistic here together than any other pair in the league since the day he showed up.
7: I, I, I still want to go back to the contract thing, okay? So now look at that's Okay, I'll give you that one. What about the Von Miller contract?
1: Von Miller contract was paying big money for a guy that got hurt. Like, you know, he, he was putting was, up the numbers. At his age, yeah, right. was, but at his age uh, do you
7: think he's on the upside of his career or on the downside?
1: No, I thought that they were probably trying to get his twilight years and trying to get elite production from him, and they did until he got hurt. And now, you know, right. it might might not be a great chance that it happens again.
0: Right. If you
1: want to sign guys, Derek, one. if you want to sign guys to only incentive contracts, you will never sign any players.
7: Not I'm not saying only incentive contract players. I say you got to be a little bit smarter about just giving everything because we're – 30th in the cap space right now that's right over the cap space and we're the 30th team texas are sorry the houston texans they're third i believe when i saw the article i think that they're with like 80 or 90 million that's right and available they're going to be the team to beat as far as my predictions and then
1: then they'll sign their quarterback and that'll eat 60 million of that i mean like there really isn't any gaming the system other than I get what you're saying, like some of the rookie deals and cheap deals. What the Texans have, they will not have for that long. They will sign Stroud. They will sign Nico Collins, and that'll eat up $70 million in cap. Like, all all that having cap space really means is that you haven't paid anybody yet, and eventually you will do that. Like, this goes back to when the Bills traded Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby, and they cut Marcel Darius, and they needed to clear the cap because it was so messy. And they're like, wow, look at all this cap space they have. And then you sign players. Not having cap space is usually a sign. There's like a couple different ways this can go. You want to talk about a team that's had bad contracts and spent money in a bad way, that's the Saints. The Bills have won four division titles in a row and have had a lot of good players. And they've kept a lot of players to try to win. Like the salary cap exists, that's right. But bad teams having a lot of space, you don't hang banners for cap space hang banners for championships, and the Bills have been trying to win championships and sign good players and keep good players, and this will be a year where they draft a bunch because they need some cheap labor. I mean, it's just it's it's cyclical. If you want to dog the Von Miller contract because you didn't like it at the time, that's fine. They could have spent that money somewhere else, but the number one reason it went south is because he got hurt. I mean, he had eight sacks in eight games in his first season. If he had 16 sacks for them in year one, there's not a person alive that wouldn't say that wasn't worth what he paid. I mean, should they have signed Dawson Knox? Should they have signed, I don't know, like go up and down? Ed Oliver was a controversial signing when they did it. People didn't all love it, and it ended up being a good deal. They walked away from Tremaine Edmonds. They're going to walk away from Gabe Davis. They let Jordan Poyer go to the market and then come back for cheaper. So it's I just don't think it's anything you can avoid. So if you're mad about them being in cap jail, no team's ever going to be good and not be in it. and Or not at least be up against it. You You have to pay. You have to pay for good players, and the only way to avoid it is draft picks, which they have ten of this year, so that'll help. It's the number one reason they have to draft a receiver because it's cheap. Justin Jefferson, in his NFL career, has made to this day thirteen million dollars. Thirteen. His next contract is going to be for like a hundred and sixty, as it should. I don't know. I, I guess I don't. I don't know what you want them to do. You want them to compete and try and sign good players. The, the the number one thing they could do to help their salary cap. You want to be real about this: is stop trading up. When you trade up and you give up draft picks, you give up easy, free, cheap contracts. You want to get more cheap labor on the on the books. Stop trading up. Use more draft picks. Save money that way. So, thanks eight hundred three hundred five fifty. I can't think of any reason to as a real good, you know, good faith. What it was, what's, what's, what's a term I want to put on that? In good faith, I'll say I can't think of any reason in good faith to question the bills on the digs trade in which the Vikings selected Justin Jefferson. Like you were just gonna, you should have instead taken the fourth receiver off the board, knowing he was going to become the best receiver in football. Why would anybody treat it as like that? That's a fair trade. What they traded was a first round pick for Justin Jefferson. I'm sorry, for Diggs. They traded a first-round pick. And then, with the help of 21 other teams not taking him, the Vikings then took him. Did the Bills trade the Vikings the assurance that this receiver would not be taken by the 21 teams in front of him? Of course not. The team in front of the Vikings could have taken Jefferson, and the Vikings could have taken Jalen Rager. You didn't trade Diggs for Jefferson. You traded Diggs for a pick. What they do with the pick, have a good time. I got the best receiver in my franchise history. And I also am starting to think like the most underappreciated player in the franchise history. <laughs> Nuts. Like everybody's ready to kick him out of town. He dropped a pass. Oh, man, drop the pass. Get him out of here. Not that you said that. You didn't say that, Derek. But but no, I don't think for a second about what the Bills could have done with that first overall pick. Whatever, that 22nd pick. Take a defensive end? Great. Like, they would have just taken Jefferson? Why would anybody believe that? Until this year, I got t- people that still tell me there's no way they take a receiver in the first round because that's just not what they do. And I'm supposed to go back in time and say, like, they would have definitely taken this dude? I don't worry about it. You can. I don't worry about it. I don't see anything to gain from it. Should they have taken Mahomes instead of Josh Allen? I mean, you gotta, if you're bringing the energy about Jefferson, you got to bring the energy about Patrick Mahomes instead of Josh Allen. Another one that, me, I just don't care about it. I don't worry about it. I worried about it for a year and two games, and then by Josh Allen's second career start against the Vikings, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna have fun. we'll have fun with this one. We'll see where it goes." And since then, it's been pretty good. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Not quite a rant, mini, mini. No, Zach and I were discussing it. It was bordering on teetering. It was teetering. on It was fine. You were getting close. It's fine. The day they trade digs and someone says they're going to be better for it, that's when you get a rant out of me. Think of how absurd it is the idea that they should get rid of like the second best player on the entire team. Is he second best? Probably. I mean Allen won, Milano's in the conversation, Oliver's in the conversation, a really great year, Diggs. Ah. Anyway, eight oh three oh five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. You can join us if you'd like. or we'll call the Extra Point Show, which is coming up in a minute. Zach and Josh will be jumping in. Sabres game night. What? Zach and Sal. Zach and Sal. Sorry, Zach and Sal. Uh, Sales coming up from the Combine. So you get more coverage from Indianapolis as uh, we roll through with Combine coverage. And coverage of the Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com and by Outlet Liquor. When you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Extendo Sports next. <laughs> Okay, time for Instant Trivia before we go. Instant Trivia is brought to you by The Farmer's Dog. Human-grade food delivered right to your door. The Farmer's Dog. Josh has created Instant Trivia for today. It is a one-answer Instant Trivia. Oh. And it's an honest um, this day Instant Trivia. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, my answer... You're just going to guess? Uh, <laughs> You know, you said, it's a one-answer instant trivia. Albert Bell. No. No. On this day in 1987, what NCAA college football program was given the quote-unquote death penalty? SMU. That is correct. Aren't they the only program to get the death penalty? I think so, yes. Now they're back. They are. They were back so, two years after that, too. Yeah, so that's not the death penalty, then. Right. But that's what the NCAA Oh, I know. It. Yeah, that's for, for sure. For whatever reason. That's for sure. But yes. Yeah. On this day in 1987. All right. I got a little... One quick trivia note for you also. There's a a story in uh, the NBA today where the refs admitted missing a call. The the Pistons coach is furious. They could protest that, and it could work. In the NBA, it has happened before where a game has been protested, and they've played the final 10 seconds the next time those those two teams play. In In 2008, the Hawks and Heat played a double header there was a game they played a little bit before where they fouled Shaq out Shaquille O'Neal fouled out of the game they miscounted how many fouls he had and they finished the game and Shaq had not fouled out but they told him he fouled out so they went back and they finished the final 51.9 seconds of that game and then took a break and then started the game that they were supposed to play that day so if the Pistons are serious And the refs admit they got it wrong. A protest can actually bring about a do-over in the NBA. It has happened before. There's a little trivia for you. Okay. Back tomorrow. Uh, Sabres game night tonight. Extra point show. Zach and Sal. He'll be live from Indianapolis. Brandon Bean to speak today. So we'll get a little bit on the uh, wide receiver train. He's going to tell us. He's going to say, baby. Woo! Choo-choo. Today's the day. He says... I got a bet with Joe on the bet board today. First first great opportunity for Bean to say, yeah, baby, we're on the wide receiver train. Just say it. You know you want to.